This particular episode contains coarse language. Sorry, Mom. Podcasting. The remarkably crowded frontier. These are the conversations of two brothers and their mom. Their 13-episode mission to explore strange old movies. To seek out new bits and new jokes. To boldly go where no mom has gone before. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before, a Night Shift Radio original. I'm Captain Casey Ryan. With me, Commander Colin Ryan. Hang on. What's the matter? It's not the fifth episode. It's just the fifth True. movie, but we have an inter- we had an interview with Robin. Oh, summon the parrot. Right, let's do it all over. Welcome to this month's episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before, a Night Shift Radio original. I'm Captain Casey Ryan. With me, as always, is my commander, Colin Ryan. Hi. And we have an admiral on the bridge. Admiral on the bridge. Our mother, Laura Ryan. Hello. And we're here to discuss... Man. Well, it's a movie in the Star Trek series, and it comes between the fourth one and the sixth one. So (sighs) that means we're here to discuss... Star Trek Five. You know what, guys? Yeah. The first time I watched it, I didn't like it. I watched it again about three weeks ago. I didn't like it. Okay. But I did a whole lot of reading on it. And then you hated it. No, no, no. And I watched it this afternoon, and I didn't hate it as much. I understood a lot of what was going on. I mean, I have like eight pages of stuff here on. Oh, great! So I'm going to go catch up on some reading. Mom, you just talk for a bit. No. Also, Mom, I'm going to need you to look up the phrase Stockholm Syndrome because I believe you have it right now. This movie's terrible. It's so bad. Well, here's... Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's it's not... But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's an oddly watchable movie. It's like watchably it's wa- And maybe that's just because I've seen it a ton, actually. I remember you and I, we watched the crap out of this when we right. were kids. Well, because it was... It came out, so... We should we should orient ourselves in time here, right? The film mm-hmm. comes out in 1989, so mm. this is probably like in what I would think of as like early, and you and me being into track, right? We probably, yeah, had, yeah. you know, I we talked when we were talking about Voyage Home that we had seen it uh, on vacation, probably around Thanksgiving in Arkansas, and I don't remember sure. seeing this in the movie theaters, but I remember seeing it a hundred times on HBO in like the I year 1990, you know. And, and because it was just around, and it was like that was the latest Trek you could watch. So I, we did watch it a lot. And sure. I, I, to the uncritical eye of a eleven-year-old for me, and a little younger for eight-year-old, <laughs> it seemed great. Oh, how naive we were! <laughs> well, one of the reviewers that I read said that it was good up until they got to Shakari, because it kept you wondering what were they doing. Sure. And yeah. that, that held my interest. And after that, it was like, oh, 
And then the Wizard of Oz shows up. One thing that I'd, I'd <laughs> forgotten was that the revelation of what Cybok's mission is. It wasn't a mystery to me. I remember it very clearly in rewatching. But it's yeah, yeah. we're really at the beginning of Act 3 of the film before it's revealed yes. to the audience. And, you know, oh, 100%. And, yeah. and I, I do have to say that in an era where everything is given away in the trailers... And we need to know, you know, everybody's motivation right off the bat. That was that was a bit of a daring, daring. I mean, I won't go so far as say daring, but it was an interesting hook to to leave it a little longer. Sure. So back to Shakari for a second. Do we know why it's called Shakari? I do. Shaka I do. Khan was taken. No. Yeah, go ahead. Who was originally supposed to play Cyborg? Sean Connery, but he was tied. But he was tied up with Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. So the mythical planet of Shakari was named in his honor. Sure was. Shatner discovered Luckinbill by chance, <laughs> channel surfing late one night. He saw him perform as LBJ. Mm-hmm. When Shatner called to offer in the role, Luckinbill accepted immediately. Well, do we know who Lawrence Luckinbill was married to? Lucy it- Arnaz. Oh, is. Excuse me. Yeah. Still is married to her. But what's the connection to Star Trek to uh, Lucille Ball? Desilu was the production agency for the original series. That's, that's crazy. That's Without Lucille Ball, there would be no Star Trek. Yeah. And it's so crazy. I, I, I highly doubt Shatner knew that when he called Lawrence Luckinbell. I mean, I had not heard that story. That's a cool story that he was channel surfing and found him. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I'd heard that too. That is yeah. every, like an actor's dream, right? Mm-hmm. You know, can we just imagine Sean Connery? I can't help noticing your pain. Share it with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he worst. and Scotty would have gotten along very yeah. well. Like I said, we we you know I'd seen this movie a ton as a kid, and then not a, at all in the intervening years. And in the intervening years, had learned the Sean Connery thing, and I thought, oh, what a missed opportunity. But boy, I tell you, it, Lawrence Luckinbill is. I think Luckinbill's really good. He's really good. I, I think he gets a bad rap along with the movie, but he, so and we'll talk about it as we get deeper into it. But like the the character is such a is such an American. It, it's important that he's played by an American for me. Yeah, because he's like a combination of like a late seventies, early eighties. New Age California weirdo and like that, but but which is how I remember him. Sure, even. sure. But it, but the televangelist really came through this time. Sure, and, and Shatner has said that it was intended as a, as a, a jab at televangelism. Yeah, of uh, course. And it's so clear, and that just wouldn't. It just it's such an American context. Those two things, you know, it's something that we say a lot on the Superpod Hero Cast. Lawrence Luckinbill knows exactly what movie he is in. Oh, yeah. As the young people are now saying, he did his research. He is he knows exactly yeah. what this character is supposed to be. When we uh, now who drew who drew the, the lot this this time and has to read the uh, That would be you, brother. Oh, the Because it has to do oh. with brothers. Of course you have to read it. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, that was a line. Also, you yeah. know, Spock's real sad he loses his brother at the end, but uh, Spock, don't worry, you still got Michael Burnham running around there. Yeah, what I the end the endless list of uh, secret siblings. <laughs> secret, <laughs> so ridiculous. Do you think we'll ever get Cybok in Strange New Worlds? Maybe. Ooh. Um. Doubt it. <laughs> they're just gonna ignore Star Trek V completely. I never happened. I, I mean, it. We did discuss this, but there was a, a real movement afterwards to think of it as non-canonical. 
In, apparently, there's a there's some book called Lord. The Autobiography of James T. Kirk that actually mentions it as being a poorly produced fan film of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, the actor who plays, quote-unquote, God at the end is also a Star Trek actor. He's the admiral that brings, oh, shoot, what is her name? When Picard becomes a Borg, he's yeah. the admiral that brings the commander on that... Uh, Keeps has that wonderful uh, sexual tension with uh, uh, George Murdoch. You're talking, yeah, about, George right? Murdoch. Yeah, it says here the director originally intended George Murdoch to play the Klingon diplomat Corell. Sure, but changed his mind on seeing Cooper's performance and everybody that that auditioned. Shatner brought him back two and three times. I mean, it was not an easy audition. That's not unusual for for a large role in a film. That's not unusual. But this was Shatner's. Directorial debut, yes. Uh, his his feature directorial debut, and I believe his feature directorial swan song as well. <laughs> well, but um, as far as the movies, well, that's what I mean, a feature. Yeah, but he yeah. directed a lot of television. T.J. Hooker directed, and he also directed plays. He did a mm-hmm. lot of theater direction. Sure, yeah. and you know the thing that's so frustrating about this movie, for me, is that this is not just a one hundred percent stinker. Beyond the campfire scene, which. Spoiler is probably going to be the best scene in the movie for me. Just the little moments, like when they're on the turbo lift and Kirk goes, I could use a shower. And Spock, just matter of fact, yes. <laughs> so great. There's a lot of gags in this, right? You, you left with a feeling that despite wanting to do this very serious quest for God story, <laughs> that there was a feeling of, well, the comedy worked really well last time. People really liked how funny the, fo- the voyage home was. Let's do a comedy. Uh, there's just a lot of gags that are pretty labored. That one is one that isn't, that genuinely lands. Um, usually if, if Spoth gets to land the, uh, the punchline, it, it is a little less labored because Nimoy is deadpan to the extreme here. Also, I'd noticed that it seems like everybody but the main three, Spock, Bones, and Kirk, everyone has a moment that seems A, out of character, and B, kind of embarrassing that character. So, and I can't help noticing the dude who wrote it has a gripe with most of the rest of the cast. Well, yeah, it just seems a little petty. It is really hard not to to notice that, you know, like we noted about three and four, like the wealth is spread around. There is something for everybody to do, but it tends to be somewhere between insulting and mortifying. You know, I'm sorry, Scotty's been on the, the Enterprise for 20 years. He's not going to bonk his head. Well, not this Enterprise. That's the whole gag: is that it's not. It's a different Enterprise, right? So they blew it up. Remember when, they, remember when they blew oh, it up? Oh, that's right. They blew. This is Enterprise A. This is A. Yep. This new ship was put together by monkeys. In fact, uh, cute, <laughs> your, interesting. Your little Scotty thing. sounded a little like Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. don't care. Do you notice there's the shuttle bay sequence in here, right? Mm-hmm. The shuttle bay in this is really well modeled after the shuttle bay on the original series. It looks a lot like it. It looks absolutely nothing like the massive shuttle bay we saw in the motion picture. <laughs> sure does. I feel but like it's new ship. Is it, new ship. Is it an Enterprise D? Uh, it's got to be the same shuttle bay that they use on, Enterpri- on Next Gen. Oh, I mean, a lot of these sets are Next Gen sets repurposed. Oh, sure. 100%. Uh, so this is the first time a Star Trek film was ever made with a Star Trek series on the air. Yep. When Kirk sat in his chair, he goes, it's moving. He goes, I miss my old chair. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get we'll there. Get All there. Right. So should we, uh, should we start, begin, as they say, 
the beginning. Uh, yeah, I, there's no other pr- really production notes except the. Well, oh, know. there's there are some. Um, okay, go ahead. Well, if we want to talk about the development of this thing, we should because it's it's yeah. a little wild. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that it is. That mom, I know you've got some notes. Did you did you happen to come across what uh, Shatner's original draft was called? Yes, an act of love. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that well, is Shatner, vile. Shatner conceived, he, he, he just conceived this story. Don't say conceived after you said an act of love. Was, yeah, no, no, no. Before, <laughs> he, before he was given the director's job. And his, okay. t- he, you, you mentioned yeah. the televangelist, but... Um, yeah. He says he, Shatner was intrigued that not only did these personalities convince others God was speaking directly to them, that they became wealthy by what Chatner considered false messages, uh, and that's what the the televangelist formed the basis for the character Czar later Cyborg. Czar, uh, Czar was his Zar. original name. Yeah, mm-hmm. back when Sean Connery was attached. Well, and so apparently, for like as far back as the time between the end of the original series and the first movie. Roddenberry was kicking around a script idea called The God Thing, uh, which was about going possibly even to the center of the galaxy and confronting God or a being claiming to be God, which is a very, you know, Star Trek-y thing. Abraham Lincoln? Well, I mean, that really was Abraham Lincoln, actually. But no, I'm thinking of Who Mourns for Adonis when they meet Apollo. Oh, right. And it turns out that it's the alien who inspired Apollo and... You know, omnipotent beings masquerading as gods. It's, a, it's you know, that's solid Star Trek fodder. Sure. I could think of five episodes of Next Gen that did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty much the basis of Deep Space Nine. Right. The wormhole aliens are treated as gods. Devil's Due from uh, Next Generation, which was actually a repurposed script from Star Trek Phase Two. Oh. Is that the mm-hmm. one with the alien that can shapeshift? And, pl- and, show- and claims to be the devil, yeah. And shows, and we see uh, the Klingon devil, and it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So okay. th- there's like elements of this. Apparently, one of the reasons Roddenberry disliked this film was because he didn't get to make his god story. Egos. Oh well, there are a few, but I I do think Star Trek: An Act of Love it would, you know. It would knock Star Trek Into Darkness out of worst title series, you know. I mean, yeah, Star Trek Into Darkness, especially since there's no colon, so technically it is Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. Mom, did you find any other things about the development and such? While filming The Voyage Home, right. he presented this idea then. Mancuso liked Shatner's idea and agreed to hire a writer to draft a film treatment. Shatner wanted novelist Eric Van Lusbatter, but negotiations between Lusbatter and Paramount failed over the author's request for a $1 million salary. <laughs> Which is like pennies now. Yeah, yeah. right. So Shatner dedicate, dictated the story himself and gave it to Paramount's production president, Ted Nanum, for input. Yeah. I mean, uh, isn't Eric Van Lusbetter the guy who writes the Bourne books now? Yep. I think it is. Yeah? I do think it is. Uh, and who owns the Bourne properties? Isn't it Paramount? Probably, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, boy. That's weird. I yeah, know that I his, mean, widow, his widow's making tons of money. I yeah. know that originally the uh, the original drafts included everyone but Kirk falling under Cybox's way. And both uh, D. Kelly and... And Nimoy successfully said, yeah, that's not going to happen. 
Yeah, it would have been weird. Well, yeah, it was really involved while, while where they were going to split up, but Kirk was going to come back and save them from hell, and it just got it got oh too involved. And the God. one thing Roddenberry didn't like is because it was presented God in general, more particularly the idea of a God as portrayed by a Western religion. I have to say I agree with Roddenberry there. The idea that 100%. We're, we're all kind of attuned and used to the idea now that every planet that you go to on Star Trek is the equivalent of like a small country. It has one culture and one language, despite being a whole damn planet. But the idea that everybody on a ship full of people from Earth would would go, oh, Eden, and God is an old man with a beard, of course. And God is male, and God is singular, and it's just not, <laughs> you know... There's, well, not to mention the fact that there's probably plenty of atheists in the future, but like, there's no Hindus, there's no. Well, when well, we get when we, we get to next generation, back to Devils too. Like Picard takes the atheist route with with the whole God thing. There's no God; it's all science, you know. Yeah, yeah. In the 24th well, century, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> there was one of the things one of Roddenberry's employees suggested. Some of his employer's animosity toward the story stemmed back to Star Trek The Motion Picture. Roddenberry wanted to approach that film with similar ideas that investigated the nature of God, but was rejected by Paramount. Yeah. Roddenberry, Nimoy, and Kelly all disagreed that Spock and McCoy would betray Kirk, yep. which Lonnery explained was done to give a conflict in which one man stands alone from the rest. Blah, blah, blah. That, but that's not the series. It's always been Bones, Kirk, Spock. Yeah. But Bones was converted over. For a and hot Spock second. Was, yeah, B- B- Spock was, but he, he overcame. Yeah. But then, oh, okay. The, we'll I'm, talk about that when we get to yeah, it. We should I, talk- never, I never felt that Spock uh, was taken in by it. The other pre-production and therefore production thing that's worth mentioning that, that definitely affected the film was the fact that Industrial Light and Magic was oh. also unavailable due to Indiana Jones and Ghostbusters 2, both of which came out that year. Oh, God. Uh, so the effects in this are so horrible. Now, well, what about the writer's strike, too? Well, the writer's strike is what delayed those other films, lost them, Connery and ILM. So they went with um, Brian Farron, who, who mm. like, I don't know, I understand why they did. He had been nominated for an Oscar for his work on... Um, a little shop of horrors, but that's but a no giant plant. Very different vibe of yep. of effects, right? When the Enterprise goes to warp, it just seems so stilted. Like the only thing that looks good is when the bird of prey cloaks, and I'm like, well, you're just using the footage oh, from there's, another. There's a lot of reused footage in this, yeah, yeah. That's what saved money. They did that to save money, and because of the writer strike. Pay close attention in the next movie because the same explosion will be used in the movie after that. Re- recycled explosions. <laughs> yes, and you um, cannot miss it. <laughs> the, and apparently, the very ambitious ending that was planned for this all fell apart in the effects. But in general, the effects have a are just not up to the standards of, the, of especially because the film also, and this is this may be again an effect of this being one of the first ones I was you know more of a conscious semi adult type brain during, but mm-hmm. it feels more modern. Like 1989 feels, I mean, despite being you know, unfathomably long time ago, if you actually think yeah. about it, yeah, let's uh, not though. Does not does not feel like the past in the way 1981 does to me. Sure, mom, you probably feel slightly differently about that, having been an adult in 1981 and not you know three. <laughs> 
was I really an adult? Did you feel that when you when you started watching this? Were you like, oh, this looks a little more modern? But like, can you feel the 1989ness of it at all? Certainly, you can in the um, continuing run of terrible future civilian clothing. Did you feel any of that, Mom? A, a little bit, yeah. yeah. I, that's not something I. But yeah, I guess. But I like the clothes. I like the clothes that they wore around the campfire. So here's the thing. Yeah. Bones and Kirk are wearing pretty contemporary for the time stuff. There's a little flare on Bones' coat, but Kirk's wearing flannel and a pair of Levi jeans. You can see the the tag on the back at one point. I was thinking more of his climbing outfit. It's a climbing outfit. It's going to look weird. Yeah. But no, though, Leonard McCoy always looks good. Yeah, yeah. He like is, Leonard McCoy always looks good. There's something he about him. <laughs> you love Bones. Oh, we didn't talk about how great he is in this movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so good. So I feel like that covers I mean, well, I'm sure that covers probably, it. That covers it. We'll bring up some more. All right. Oh, yeah. So here we are. The Wikipedia plot. Oh, look at this. And we're going to get this done in four quick paragraphs. <laughs> I only have three. The crew of the newly commissioned USS Enterprise, NCC-1701A. Did we talk about the, the A last time? Yeah. And how it makes no sense? Yep. Okay, good. Are enjoying shore leave after the Starship Shakedown cruise. This is not how the film begins, though. No, we're missing a major, because there's a the ton fi- of stuff well, the film in the desert. The film starts with a scene of Cybok coming up and meeting, I, forget, I think the character's name is John. Um, sure. Let's bad go. man with bad teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I forget the actor's name. He'd actually been, he was one of the Earp brothers, Inspector of the Gun, the uh, OK Corral episode of the first original series. Oh. Yeah. That, was that how he got this? Like a little return? It's entirely possible, yeah. And if he was a Western actor, he probably also knew DeForest Kelly, who was a huge Western actor before sure was. Star Trek. I like um, to refer to this actor as Discount Doug Jones. Well, let's you know, the, the, let's call him his generation's Doug Jones. Um, <laughs> sure, but he does have a similar vibe, doesn't he? I mean, he's he's good at it, you know. But that opening is so different. None of the other films have sort of opened with a planet-bound cold open, right? Yeah, I think the only other one that we're going to watch that stays on on planet for the whole cold open is uh, Insurrection. Oh yeah. That's going to be it. Other, other than that. Not a, not a film I remember, so I don't remember that. We'll get to it. I can't believe you'd kill me for a field of empty holes. Yeah, so I thought that was really different. It was like opening and Mad Max outfits. And the nice little misdirect with the horse that you think is some sort of, like, caped beast mm-hmm. coming. And Your pain runs deep. What do you know of my pain? Let us explore. But how is Cybok melding with Jong? That was a question. Well, oh, uh, great. Let's, let's uh, dissect it. How does he have remote and rather than touch-based psychic powers? Yeah, yeah. Is it because Spock is half-human? Mm, no, because Mark Leonard. Because uh, Sarek had to oh, do it too. That's right. Mark Leonard does. Sarek does too. Right. Well, if, I, I, uh. I do think that there is one episode, of, like before they really settled on how things worked in the early in early part of the original series, where Spock seems to actually have like at a distance psychic abilities, and of course there was the idea that. That there's a Vulcan male animal magnetism, which was apparently something Roddenberry <laughs> wrote about, and they thankfully never actually mentioned on air. No, thank you. Um, yeah, I feel um, your pain. But yeah, I feel your pain. Per- perhaps, perhaps the uh, the fan canon or fanon solution <laughs> is uh, that not res- not repressing his emotions 
opens up a whole range of psychic abilities that are not present. <gasps> okay. In okay. I, I like that Good. head Those who follow that. the ways of Surak. Yes. So I, I am I going to submit that. that as our fan wank. I mean, fan can. <laughs> uh, uh, and also, do you think J.J. Um, Abrams saw the Cybok laughing scene, saw the giant lens flare, and said, that's how I'm going to make all my Star Trek movies? <laughs> <laughs> so... Not, I don't. I don't want to cinema sins this thing to death. <laughs> but let's go. Cinema, Mom, cinema sins is a uh, is an online video thing where they just be like this. They did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, and it's like not the way to criticize. They, films, they, really, but like. it's comedy. It's done in a very comedic like. Yeah. Like if if there's okay. a girl that is uh, scantily clad in a scene, the sin that they give it is scene does not contain a lap dance. Like, it's just silly stuff. It's very, very silly. And they have a good time. But I did have to, I did write down or think when he says, there are no starships on Nimbus 3. Then how the hell did Cybok get there? Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a Nimbus 3 size plot hole in, this, in the first 35 seconds of this film. I mean, the thing is, it's because we don't want to explain where Cybok comes from. We want Cybok to be a weird religious zealot who rides out of the desert on a f***ing horse. Like, <laughs> nope, nope, oh, nope. Oh yeah, nope. I'll, I'll I'll bleep you. Don't worry. Oh. Remember, mom doesn't want any swearing on this. It's, I just don't want it every other word. That, that would wasn't be the first word. one. So no, that was five, the first no, one. Five, yes, five episodes was. in. Oh, I'm pretty sure mom dropped an F-bomb in like two or three. No, I did it in one. Oh, there we I go. There something. we go. So mom, mom was right out of the <laughs> oh, gate. That's right. You did beat <laughs> us to it. Because Casey goes, oh, there <laughs> she is. She did the mm-hmm. first one. We've been very, you've been, you guys have been very good. Fuck yeah, um. we have. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I want my friends to listen to this. Of course, my friends in Canada probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, how how are we not going to make it through the rest of this without at least one more f bomb? This movie is so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, we get so, our first start date. Oh yeah, there's on screen start date. That's pretty rad. Eight four five four five four point one, which means nothing. I know Colin and I we've had this discussion, but start dates mean nothing until we get to the quote unquote Kelvin universe. Because then the star date becomes whatever the year is, point whatever day of the the uh, Anglo-Saxon calendar. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what calendar it would be under. Uh, Three hundred sixty-five days. Yeah, Julian. Gregorian. Gregorian. Probably. Okay. Gregorian. But Gregorian. under this, it's um, like let's just throw a bunch of numbers together. Now, wait. Do we do we go straight from that? No, we go straight from this to your that. No, does, don't we meet the 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 Nimbus three three first? Not yet. Nope. Uh, oh no. Yes, I wrote Yay David Warner because his name was in the credits. Yes, the wonderful David Warner. Love David Warner. Um, yeah, because I got a question about some I, of and those. I also uh, was. It, I was also like, Yay! There's that Jerry Goldsmith theme. 
<laughs> I also, uh, when we get there, I, I got some questions about the uh, the consulates that are there mm-hmm. on Nimbus 3. There's one that I did not realize until this time, and I went, wait, what? But we'll get there. Let's talk about uh, some rock climbing. Well, but first, I do want to say, I said Jerry Goldsmith, uh, the score to this film is very good. It's very good. Yeah. They oh, were a, great a, to get Jerry Goldsmith back. Always, you know, he's glad they did wasted that. on a terrible movie. But it's a really good score. It does. Uh, I mean, like I was, sure. I actually went and listened to it a little the other day because it's it's there's some beautiful stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you realize Cyborg has his own theme? Yep. You should read that. There's like ten paragraphs about about the music. It's really interesting. Oh, cool. yeah. I mean, when you get Jerry Goldsmith, uh, you're going to oh. get good stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, so. The newly commissioned crew, the United the crew, little, 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 try again. The crew of the newly commissioned the USS Enterprise NCC 1701A are enjoying shore leave after the Starship Shakedown cruise at Yosemite National Park. Captain James T. Kirk is camping with First Officer Spock and Dr. Leonard McCoy. Their leave is interrupted when the Enterprise is ordered by Starfleet Command to rescue the human Klingon and Romulan diplomats taken hostage on Nimbus Three, a planet set aside as a neutral location in advance to advance dialogue between the Federation, Klingon Empire, and Romulan. Star Empire. So, a couple things. Dar is a Romulan? Yes. How? She looks nothing like a Romulan. She's just uh, a Pacific a, uh, Asian Asian Pacific actor. Like, Well, they have those weird ear things on her what? because she seemed not to have wanted to do the ear makeup. <laughs> do you think that's what it was? She's like, I'm not putting those things yeah. on. <laughs> and if you recall, if you recall, are you referencing her lack of ridges, next-gen style ridges? There are no ridges on Romulan's pre, pre-next-gen, <laughs> yeah. But pre-next-gen. But by I don't know why I'm thinking of Ruffles now. Ruffles have ridges, but Romulans don't. Um, <laughs> no, but by this point, we'd seen Romulans on next-gen. We're two seasons into Next Gen by this point. Well, it all works out because if you recall in Picard, they uh, they fixed it by saying like Northern Romulans and Northern Romulans and Southern Romulans. Oh, of course. Yes. Well, one one of the things that Shatner wanted is uh, all of the Klingons to have different. Forms. Sure, and that's kind of until Discovery made Klingons weird. Um, th- that was the way. <laughs> Worf's ridges are very different than Gauron's ridges. Did you know that David Warner did not audition? Why would he need to? No. He's David Warner. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't audition, but he agreed to the role after Shatner swore that his character would survive the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this one. Maybe he was hoping they'd have him back for the next yeah. one. Next one, eh, not so much. <laughs> George Murdoch was originally going to play Cord. They liked Cooper's performance so much that they chose him and made Murdoch God. Uh, Cooper, isn't he the Klingon high council or the emperor of Klingon uh, uh, Kronos technically in uh, next gen isn't he the large no he's he's in he's Kempak yeah that's the no yeah I'm thinking of someone else and then the guy that that is that uh, precedes Garon taking over no no uh, that's uh, Duras and he's a big fat I, guy. No. he's a big fat Klingon too I don't remember. It's uh, but, but he he, played, he came back and played Kempak in Deep Space Nine. Oh, Kemp. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm yeah. Try- Mom has started Deep Space Nine, by the way, Colin. So I'm trying to uh, spoiler well, free. This anything. podcast has. It's getting very hard to keep up with it because it, the first season is. So- I told. You. I, I will. There's some gems in season one. I will hook you up with a with a good list of like you know here's where you can skip. Yeah, you can skip the Rumpelstiltskin episode. <laughs> There's some weird Ferengi stuff that nobody needs to see. Oh, but uh, well, that's how you love Quark. One. 
I just finished the one, Dax. That was a good episode. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Terry Farrell is, like, you need to remember that, well, not remember, you need to know that Terry Farrell was told by one producer, um, hey, we need you to be very Spock-like, very reserved, keep your emotions in check, and then, you know, another one, let's call him Dick Ergman, uh, told her to vamp it up and be sexy. So, every, every day, she got that note from the two main producers, so made it really yeah. tough to uh, do her job. But this is a this is for our this is for when we do Deep Space Nine do movies. Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. Not me. Count me. No, out. there will be no. no Deep Space Nine movies. A <laughs> okay, two, okay. two of the main cast members are dead. Uh, so that makes it a little tough. Wait, what were we talking about? Rock climbing. Uh, hey, rock climbing. So they're climbing a rock. Spock scares. Why is he climbing a mountain? Because it's there. Because it's there. You know what I'm referencing, right, Dougie Casey? Why is he? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Oh, I don't know this. No. Okay. I'm, I'll send you the audio clip. Okay. I'm excited. Um, my question. Well, he climbed two mountains. He climbed, the, he climbed the mountain in Yosemite, and then he climbed the mountain when he was on the planet Sharkari. Well, now, somebody's climbing a mountain. Let's just, let's just say this. During, as, the, as the final parts of the credits roll, a human being is climbing a mountain and being filmed by a camera. Whether that human being is or in any way resembles William Shatner. Yeah, he, it, <laughs> it's he up for debate. This, this is not a Tom Cruise moment. <laughs> no, he had a double. It of course he had, he had a double. It's, it's just a poor, it's a remarkably poorly hidden double. But, but my well, question he, is. Yeah, the hair doesn't look like him at all. Oh, the damn it. Really Mom, I was going to say, is he borrowing Shatner's toupee? <laughs> oh, darn. No, but here's one thing that I found very fascinating about that. It said Kim Bates was his double. Okay. Ken Bates set a record for the highest American descender fall by plummeting off of El Capitan with a wire support rig for long shots. Yep. His fall, when he gets close to the ground, I'm like, uh, did this stuntman die? It's, he gets real close to the ground. Somebody was telling a story that there were a ton of reports of people who did see it from a distance while they were in Yosemite oh, and geez. called it in. Oh, my God. Yeah. That had not, to have been so good. terrifying for them. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Oh, also, speaking of stunt doubles, so Spock catches Kirk. He's hanging upside down. Perhaps because it is there is not sufficient reason for climbing the mountain. I am hardly in a position to disagree. And not DeForest Kelly runs at them. Oh, is that not? Oh, oh wait, go back and watch. It is clearly not DeForest Kelly doing that. I'm like, what's DeForest? Like, I'm not running. There's no running for me. <laughs> I did my was, running during my Western years. <laughs> there was a lot of discussion in the stuff that I read that how they had a lot of energy and there was a lot of... It's supposed to be a lot. I've, I've kept envisioning a lot of running and jumping, and, and the only time I really realized that that was going on was when we were climbing the mountain. Otherwise, they're just doing regular stuff, but several yeah. of the actors commented on that. I mean, there's, there's the, the climbing, the, the enormous amount of decks on this Enterprise A. I well, mean, yeah, that's true. There's the whole raid on Nimbus 3, Paradise City. Uh, that's a big action sequence, as big an action sequence as any of these movies have really had. Yeah, I was about to say, this is the beginning of Star Trek has some uh, action fighting in it. Like, this is no longer Kirk Foo. That was shot in the desert at 104 degrees. Oof, at night? Yep, it was really hot. Oh, and Shatner called it the Skybox Shuffle. 
when they're all going, mm-hmm. going ah, 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 ah. they call it the skybox. Whatever his name is. Well, I, now I have, I have, I have, I have one more sentence in the first paragraph of this synopsis that I should read because oh, this is so important to the plot. Learning the, the Enterprise's mission, the ambitious Klingon captain Claw decides to pursue Kirk for personal glory. While he's taking a break from his 80s hair metal band. A, I'm going to refer to him as Claw. <laughs> Claw. Exclu- exclusively for the duration sure. of this podcast. Uh-huh. B, I mentioned that it's important because Claw. Okay, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. But uh, he has absolutely no impact on the plot whatsoever. Nope. Well, without his ship. Oh, I guess. But he just sort of, it just cuts away to like, and Claw's here too. <laughs> just over and over and through the film. I, I, listen, this, uh, no, no disrespect to this actor. This actor, he ain't Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> well, so both he and and Vixis are um, were stunt performers primarily. In fact, they both oh. came back and did stunt. This guy came back and was like Ron Perlman's stunt double on in on uh, the last one. Uh, Todd Bryant played him. Todd Bryant, yeah. And yeah. now, did you see Mom? You, wait, you have, wait. Mom, uh, in, on uh, Star Trek Beyond, he's... Oh, no. Beyond. On, um, um, uh, Nemesis. De- oh, God. Uh, Mom, you have all the good casting stories. Did you hear how how, how Todd Bryant was cast? Uh, yeah, well, he, he they cast him, but he had to audition twice, because the second time he auditioned, he had to do it in Klingon. Uh, well, yeah, and they do a good job with the Klingon, which... Yep, uh, the Klingon Also, solid. Spice thought she was going to be Kirk's girlfriend. <laughs> uh, she said, but it was nice playing a, vi- a villain. Apparently, he was cast when the casting director saw him at a party playing table tennis. Oh, yeah. He said, when he I think a, of Klingons, I think, I think of, of table tennis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said, the, he was playing ping pong at a beach party when the casting director offered him the row. I mean, the dude's big. He's very Klingon esque. He's just not a very good actor. Well, I mean, look, there's not much to the character either. You know, he's not. It's not. Well, there's, there's no, like there's no depth there, you know. But also, like he's like must kill Kirk, must kill Kirk, and all of a sudden he's like, no, I apologize. I'm sorry. Yeah. Did the Klingon just say sorry because that's not something Klingons do. But did, didn't Spock have an odd look on his face when that was at the scene? Because I remember, and I didn't write it down that when Spock got this really odd look on his face, like I can't believe that just happened. When it wasn't blank, he really showed an emotion. Oh, when, when Claw that, when he, um, what, apologizes? Apologized, yeah. I, I'll keep it going, Colin. Claw! Claw! <laughs> are, we, are we ready to move on with the... Uh, yeah, let's, Colin, take me down to the Paradise City. Where the grass is green and the girls are and pretty. And the cat girls are pretty. I mean, like, that was... It's 1989. That movie is... I'm sorry, that song is still pretty popular. Why did anybody think that was what you should name this? Also, why do they keep making aliens have three boobs? I mean, what what is what is the Who had three birds? The cat? The cat had three boobs. Well, because being a cat woman wasn't to, weird enough. To be fair, if you know anything about cats, that's actually three boobs too few. That's true. She should have had a second row. She should have had But but it's it's clearly there because of the three boobs in um Total Recall that had just it, come out two years ago? Two, two years, years in, two years in the future. Oh, wait. 91? Total Recall is 1991. Damn. Okay, never mind. So Total Recall stole it from Star Trek? Got it. Yep. Um, wow. That's hurtful. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to the cat lady. It, 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 ain't, it ain't a great <laughs> moment. Uh, let's not leave the, the planet, though, before we talk about 
Colin, your uh, your name on our Zencaster call, the marshmallow scene. Oh yeah, we can't. Yeah, okay. So the the best. The best, the scene. best scene in the movie. Well, I, you know, I have another scene. I actually, I actually realized this is good and I like. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. I mean, I love yeah. this campfire scene, right? In fact, uh, it's wonderful. There was like a Twitter prompt a few years ago where it was like, "What's a a scene in a movie you otherwise don't like that you do like?" Uh-huh. And I was like, "This move, this one." And a lot of people were like, "Yes, that's great." Right? Yes, this is one hundred percent. Like, good lord, this is. I could have watched an hour and a half of Kirk. Spock in uh, Bones camping. Yeah. Singing row, row, row your boat. <laughs> and and having probably, oh, mar- roasting marshmallows, but probably Bones' best insult to Spock. It's a song, you green-blooded Vulcan. <laughs> I've well, run out of things to call you. I'm just going to <laughs> say the proper name for you. Two other things about it that, that stand out for me are, well, one, the drink that everybody can't see I'm drinking was inspired by... Uh, by it, though I do have to point out, Tennessee whiskey is not the same thing as bourbon. This is true. So Bones calls it Tennessee whiskey. Tennessee whiskey, Spock. You care for a little snort? Kirk calls it bourbon. Bourbon and beans, an explosive combination. Those are not the same thing. But we can forgive Kirk because he's from Iowa. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming because of the grandpappy's recipe line that Bones is supposed to be from... Tennessee. Uh, let both Leonard McCoy and DeForest Kelly are from Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay. Tennessee whiskey gets charcoal filtered, but the yes. bourbon does not. Um, bourbon it has to be aged in a very in new charred oak barrels. What are you drinking? Uh, uh, this is this is bourbon. I think it's you over. Bourbon? I think it's overproof bourbon. Uh, I believe it is pronounced boybin. Boybin. I thought it was bourbon. Yeah. Well, now, that, no, that's what you do when you drink too much. But speaking of, it. of odd pronunciation, that is not what you do when you drink too much bourbon. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of things you do when you drink. Uh, speaking of odd pronunciations, do we all know why Spock calls it a marshmallow? No. So, oh boy, in the original script, and this scene made it into the novelization, McCoy reprograms the computer because Spock is doing research. Did you read this, Mom? Oh my God. <laughs> Reprograms the computer to display marshmallow instead of marshmallow. And so they didn't film it, but the pronunciation error got in there. And the, you know, the backstory of that is that it was a practical joke by McCoy. And my head canon McCoy always was uh, 400 years in the future, the word just got mixed up in that yeah. time. You know. Well, That's or cute. I mean, uh, he's pronouncing a word he's never pronounced in what is not his native language. That could, that you know? works too. It, I, like, no matter how well you knew Vulcan, if you were trying to say a, a food you've never tried before, you might pronounce it at least as differently as melon and mallow. But I do like that as a backstory. I'd never heard that before, and I finally looked up. Why the hell does he call it a marshmallow? <laughs> a thing that I do regularly. When oh, one hundred percent. That's all yeah. I call them. They're marshmallows. No, I call them marshmallows. Did you know that Kraft made the, one of those things that would produce a marshmallow out of that? Did you? No. Know that? Did you? Uh, yeah, in the, the end, licensing deal. Cra- yep, it was uh, in the licensing deal. Absolutely. I'll be right back. I'm going oh, to eBay. That's so funny. You guys <laughs> keep going on without me. As someone who works in the licensing industry, this is like 1989 is the birth of li- of modern licensing, right? Sure. 
It, Batman not the this, movie? Not, exactly. Not this film, but Batman. Batman, um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh, Huda, I thought you were on leave. And I thought we were supposed to be going together. Oh, I can't leave her now when she needs me the most. I had a feeling you would say something like that. Uh, I have some cinema sense questions. Why the hell are Scotty and Uhura flirting? What in oh, the holy disgusting. hell is happening? I kind of like it. No, I didn't. I, you know, I have no objection to the idea so weird. that at this stage in their lives, these people who have known each other for 20, 25 years, have found a new dimension to their relationship. Or, even better, they've been doing it since 1966, and it was all kept on the down low. Oh, I like that headcanon. We're headcanoning yeah. the crap out of this movie, so <laughs> yes, that is what it's going to be. But, it, yeah, it really doesn't bother me. What It just doesn't... The fact that it kind of goes nowhere and is... And it's played for weird laughs. Like, that's the thing. Like, so much is played for weird laughs, you know? Like I was saying before, everyone has a moment that is, like, embarrassing for their character. Sulu and uh, Chekhov getting lost. We've been caught in a blizzard. Yeah, it's too much. Shatner had to beg George Takei to do this movie. Oh, yeah. George Takei wanted nothing to do with it once he found out that Shatner was directing. He's like, you can write my character off. Yeah, they don't particularly care for each other. Well, wait a minute, um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now uh, that you're saying that, just okay. got, got something here, a little, here, little quote I've got here. Takei said he found the biggest challenge of the film was learning to ride horses. However, mm. Leonard Nimoy <laughs> said Shatner's attempts to instruct him to ride a horse, although Nimoy had ridden many horses bareback when playing American Indian roles for Republic no. Pictures. <laughs> but he says, moreover... Takei acknowledged, despite our sometimes strained personal history, I found that working with Bill Shatner as director to be surprisingly pleasant. I could see that. So it worked out in the end. A lot of actors turned directors can think of Frakes. Like, halfway through this movie, I'm like, man, if Jonathan Frakes had his hands on this movie, it would be easily 35% better. The script's still going to hurt it in the end, but... Frakes is just going to get really good performances out of his actors. He always does. I'm not left with the feeling that there was ever a conscious attempt to sabotage the other actors or the other characters. But I think there was an unconscious campaign on his part. I mean, I just don't... I think he was like, this is funny, this is great, and can't couldn't even see that he was creating these embarrassing situations or, or, or making fun of the characters in a certain way. Well, one sticks out is very degrading, and we'll, we'll get to it oh, we'll in get a little to bit. It. And you know which one I'm talking about, too. Yeah. But, uh, gross. And then we also want to talk a little bit about the Nimbus 3 intro scene with, uh, the three. Gentlemen, I'm Caitlin Dorr. Oh, yeah. Our new Romulan representative. I'm St. John Talbot, the Federation representative. My charming companion here is the Klingon consul, Kord. I expect that's Klingon for hello. One thing that took out, I was like, oh my God, is somebody smoking a cigarette? Oh, my God, yes. He's smoking a cigarette. Yeah. It's uh, so crazy. Did they Aunt Baru Dar? Is she not saying her dialogue? Because it's very like, hello, I am Dar. I am from the Romulan consort. Like, it's I do think very, there's a fair amount of ADR there. I can't, why, would you call it, why on earth would you call it Aunt Baru and not Red Brown? Because that's the other podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to stay in, like, the sci-fi fantasy world on this one. <laughs> Damn it, um, Colin. <laughs> she is... Not an actor we've heard of since, and I am not surprised. I'll try and be kind, but like she's she doesn't wow me in this, and she's pretty. you know, 
Yeah. I think that's how she got I, the might part. Might be something to do with it. Yeah. Um, but but she's got two great pros she's with. You know. I mean, uh, sure. Cooper. Cooper. I mean, he's, he's got a resume as long as my arm. I mean, the guy's mm-hmm. just been. He he had a fifty year career, right? Um, and then David Warner is not so secretly, secretly one of the great actors of his generation. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, he he gave what uh, I think English stage thinks of as one of the defining Hamlets of the sixties um, at the RSC. Yeah, I would watch that. Yeah, unfortunately, you can't. But uh, I know, there's some I cool know, pictures where he's got mm-hmm. like a big sixties student radical scarf on, but. Um, <laughs> But he's Fantastic. great. I mean, I, he's just one of those guys you're just always, always glad to see. And he, you know, he he it plays this loose, washed up drunk. I do kind of like the idea that like the human and the Klingon are there because their governments don't believe in them, and <laughs> and she's there because their the government is like you believe in this too much. Go go <laughs> go away. Right. You're annoying us. Yep. Yep. Which is to- a total Romulan thing to do. Mm. Like, you're just, you're a little too excited about this thing. Please go away. I, I looked it up, but the satellite that the Klingons destroy, <laughs> for a hot second, I thought it was Voyager. And I was like, oh no, wait, are they just completely destroying the cannon that was no. the first movie? And the- no, it's Pioneer 10. Pioneer 10, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the things I do love about the score is that is the, the Klingon theme. I noticed that they're I just still, love it so much. <laughs> still soft pedaling the brow ridges on, on all the female. Klingons to make them still be, uh, you know, attractive but to human standards. Hers are still pretty prominent. Yeah, but More you're not going to get real ones till like the Duras sisters, right? Hundred percent. Once we meet the Duras sisters, it's going to be like, oh, hello, ridges. Uh, they, they um, were, they're on dis- they're on Discovery, aren't they? Didn't they, I just meet? They them? are on Deep Space Nine, and they oh, were Deep also they were also on Next Gen. They're Next Gen characters that. Pop up in D Space Nine and may show up in one of these movies. Just my. <laughs> We're dressing uh, informally, aren't we? You caught me on the way to the shower. Do you guys know who the uh, Admiral Admiral Bob is? Admiral Bob. The Admiral who sends Kirk off to on the mission. Oh, because Bob. Yeah. That's Hart <gasps> Bennett. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Lead I didn't producer know that, of all I, these I films. I saw that, that yeah. he had that he had a, a small role in it. You could play a fun game where you count the number of times everybody talks about how cool Jim Kirk is in this. And <laughs> Interesting. This is, this is one of the first... Yeah, I know. Funny that. Now, I appreciated that they did not go with, you're the only ship in the sector. And just actually were like, we actually just want you and the crew. It probably would have been better if they'd said you and the crew instead of just, I need Jim Kirk. But here's the problem with that, though. Kirk does say... There must be other ships in the quadrant. Other ships, yes. But no experienced commanders. Captain... I need Jim Kirk. Then hang on. Jim just said to you, this ship is in bad shape. Send another ship to the Enterprise or rendezvous with the two of them and send a ship that's in better order with Jim Kirk. Yeah, tra- no. transfer, his, transfer his command over to another. Come Jim on. Kirk cannot, it has to be on the Enterprise. That would but never have worked. Did you catch Shatner saying, when he says, I need Jim Kirk, and he does a sort of take behind him, like, uh, oh, please. And it's it's like the guy <laughs> at the corporate party where, like, his, you're the best boss ever. Oh, please. you know, It's such yeah. false modesty. It's terrible. <laughs> it's um, really do we all know who the yeoman is who hands Kirk his uh, jacket and then also has the pad later? Oh, it's um, it's his daughter. Kid, it's his daughter. It's, yeah. it's his daughter. All of his daughters, I think, eventually got worked into in cameos. Yeah, I just love when he hands her the jean jacket and he puts on the other one. She's just kind of like, I don't know where this goes. <laughs> yeah. 
I deeply regret this desperate act, but these are desperate times. I have no desire to harm these innocents, but do not put me to the test. So, on Nimbus 3, the Enterprise crew discovers that renegade Vulcan Cybok, Spock's half-brother, of course they don't discover that yet, mm-hmm. is behind the hostage crisis. Cybok reveals that the hostage situation was a ruse to lure the starship to Nimbus 3, which he intends to use to reach the mythical planet Shakari. That's actually Mama. also not... I, I, I'm going to have to go in here and... No, God help me. If I go in and re-edit the Wikipedia on this, I think I'll never live it down. Um, <laughs> the planet where creation began. The planet lies behind a seemingly impenetrable field known as the Great Barrier near the center of the galaxy. What is that room that Cybok gives his backstory with the giant wheel? We've never seen a room like that in Star Forward Observation Lounge. Oh, so it's like 10 forward on the D? I guess. And, and wouldn't be surprised if it's actually the same set um, dressed. <laughs> well, yeah. But because they did use a lot of the same sets because it filmed during the off. Um, right. Uh, the Forward Observation Lounge, yeah. Okay. And that's where they go to. And the um, team that's with Kirk on the planet to rescue the diplomats, are those Mako? Are those the military side of Starfleet? I guess. I mean, yeah. Is this the I mean, first I, appearance of them? I'm sure. Except of a ruler, she looks like a can. Oh, oh yeah. let's, okay, okay, so, so let's, let's spend some time get on this. Over with. This is the most degrading, sexist piece of crap seen in the movie, possibly in the franchise, of having her. Like, what on earth could we do to distract these men? I know, Uhura, who suddenly was on the shuttle. Please be the honeypot. Ugh. I mean, look. I- but remember, when it was filmed, it wasn't looked at then like it would be looked. No, at no, no. Now. It's well, still, but it, she would it, still be it, considered it, the honeypot. It it, de- it definitely was. There was a lot of comment at the time about that's a little weird um, <laughs> because, mom, it was 1989, not 1939. Um, but I mean, look, I tend to agree with you and have always. But I have heard other people be like. Oh, it's empowering. Her sexuality as an older woman. I, I don't. I, I don't. Oh, that I that I disagree. But for the longest time, and Judy, the first time I saw it, I didn't realize it was a horror. I thought it was one of the guys, which I think would have made it hysterical. Well, it should have been bone, Bones. And where'd she get those fans? I want to know I where mean, did she come from. She was not make? on the shuttle. When it came down, it's and a guy sitting next to Sulu. Yeah, it's Sulu well, they navigating. Brought her, they, and they brought about, her down later. Ugh. How about how did how did Kirk know that every member of Cybox uh, guarding party would be a heterosexual male? <laughs> there should have been one person who's like not interested. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a weird, weird scene. It's so out of place. It's so uncomfortable. It's so. I, it doesn't seem from anything I found that Nichelle Nichols has ever seemed to have an issue with it. So I don't I, I don't want to be the one who tells her what she can do with her body and her character. Sure, one hundred percent. I just really is weird. It's weird. I mean But the, Mom, what do you think? You're the you're the you're the woman on the podcast. Do you think it's do you think it's I don't creepy? think I thought it was creepy back then. Yeah. But again, to looking at it today, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it but give us an alternate uh, an alternate synopsis for it. How else would you have pulled all of those guys away from the horses so they could ride in. What else would you have done to distract them? Uh, well... Uh, in the middle of a desert. I mean, you could distract them with all sorts of things. Gunshots, yelling, help, help, a broken leg. You can infiltrate them in costume. But not all of them would have come up 
The only thing that was going to bring all of those men up was a woman standing behind sure. the sun with fans. A broken leg only if... Yeah, yeah but, but this is this is always the question. When you're in a fictional situation mm. and you say, well, what other solution would there be? You, you have to remember that the person who wrote that solution also wrote the problem and could have written a different problem. Well, that's yep. true. That's very true. <laughs> During the, the raid on Paradise City, did we all notice that Spock Vulcan neck pitches a horse? Oh, he sure does. That's... Yes. I'm sorry, that's awesome. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Casey. That horse had one horn. That was a unicorn. Those are space unicorns. Those, Those are, space. are blue space I didn't blue see space the horn. unicorns. Oh yes, they all had horns, yeah. But yeah, they all have little just really? a tiny little like rhino horn. Yeah. But oh my god, I, I forgot about that. that. And when he did it, I I was just like, All right, that was cool. <laughs> a lot of this movie's ridiculous, <laughs> but he took down a horse with the Vulcan neck bitch. Yes, that's true. Would you mind handing over your weapons? So, plan fails. They're in the brig. I want to talk about the brig for a second because something monumental happens during the scene. Well, but for, you know, first they, they have the whole pseudo oh, yeah. action sequence of getting back in and claw and, and, and let you know. Kirk, uh, excuse Kirk, me, Kirk claw claw. Kirk ego stroke <laughs> count here. Uh, after they get into you know and make it away from. From the Klingon ship and get into this, you know, you have Claw going, oh, he's good. You know, like, <laughs> somebody has to be, oh, Kirk is so cool. But I wanted one Klingon officer to be like, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> you were going to shoot the shuttle. It thrustered. It took us a second to, re- I mean. than you. Here's where we actually find out that he is, that he is, that, you know, he's, he tells him to shoot him and, you know, which of course is like. I, you know, I, I just go, why are you telling him to shoot him? Why are you telling him to kill Like, there's, just say, phase incapacitate him. Yeah, phase him. Phase him. What the hell? Well, he didn't have a, he didn't have a phaser in his hand. The only thing he had was, was a disruptor. And you have to assume it's a disruptor yeah. and it's just going to instantly kill. Yeah. Okay. That's well, I don't know. Wasn't it the gun that that... Oh, I didn't think those were even disruptors. I figured those were like shooting pellets. Pull- pellets. Rocks. Don't you remember like they at were the like, beginning oh, when, he, right, when he, he dropped them all over the floor? Yeah, like, so it's, they look like... Right, because they say like they made weapons. They're like literally yeah, like handmade, air yeah, guns right. they put together from so, spare parts. Uh, if we want to put full comedy in this, he, he should have pulled the trigger and it just like mildly hit Cybok and he'd be like, hey, ow. Oh. That, no. It's gonna. I'm gonna have a bruise. <laughs> Might have a little welt. Come on, man. So uh, the brig. Yeah. So the brig. Do we know what the monumental moment when is? They blow the uh, hole in the wall. What does Kirk sit down on? A toilet. This is the first recorded toilet in Star I just Trek. It was a seat. No, because there's a button behind him, and there's a uh, sign that says "Do not use in spaceport." Well, in space, in space dock, dock, because yeah. it'll just go because all it, over the place. Where the hell do you see all that? I mean, how, do you, how do you... It's a toilet. I do remember it saying, do not use in space dock, but I thought that was... I thought it was just a bench. No, it's a space toilet, huh? It's, just, it's the first toilet and only toilet that we will see in Star Trek. No. Well, good, Bonkers. because I don't need that. Well, James Doohan did an interview back in, like, the 70s. Like, what did you do for toilets on the Enterprise? And he said, uh, what do you think the phasers were for? jeez. <laughs> <laughs> to which you go, gross. What is this power you have to control the minds of my crew? I don't control minds. I free them. How? By making you face your pain and draw strength from it. Cybok uses his unique ability to reveal and heal the innermost pain of a person through the mind meld to subvert his hostages and crew members' wills. It just doesn't work for me, guys. It just... The nope. I, 
idea. Share that, your pain? No. There's just not. It's just not fleshed out enough. And I don't want every detail, but I need more than share your pain. Suddenly, I will do yeah. whatever you say. I will totally override all other meaning and conditioning in my life and follow you unquestioningly. It has to be That's, brainwashing then. Like, it can't just it, be. 100% is. I say it was. What's brainwashing? Sounds like brainwashing to me. And I wanted some sort of physical contact with everyone to prove that it's brainwashing. The one thing I was thinking is double hands on the face, but we'll see that in the next movie, and it's oh, yeah, absolutely well, terrifying. Did you know Did um, you know that the scene that, that they did with Bones where he sees his father, the actor that played uh, him, that was one of his last, that was one of his last roles. Mm-hmm. He died very shortly thereafter that. No. I believe it, yeah. Okay, so we're sort of there, right? We've had our jailbreak. With the jailbreak, uh, did anyone count how many decks the Enterprise A has? Well, do we, we count 79 twice? Because they do go by it twice. They sure do. So 82. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the Enterprise E, well, let's do the Enterprise D. The Enterprise D has 25 decks. The Enterprise E has 23, or 25, depending on who's talking. They're not very good with their decks in, in here. The Enterprise A has 78 decks. Well, it, it, what? It, it can. It went by 78 twice, so they must have 79. It's, but it's just... it's it's uh, They reuse shots what? as they go up, and they, they go, what, go what, by an order. They could have it's climbed 23 decks. They wouldn't have been able to use the boots again. No, no, no. no what we're talking about, Bob, is when they're rocketing oh, yeah, up. yeah. They reuse shots, so they actually cuts to them going by the same deck more than once. They don't go by in the right order. They don't go by know. in the right order, and it's. It, it, I mean, my, Scotty my did say is, it was put together by monkeys, so you know. Well, yeah, maybe, but <laughs> maybe they, my so problem, they, they just put the decks in the wrong order, like bad Lego stacking. Uh, my problem is, is that you know the Constitution class Enterprise is a third the size of a Galaxy class. Ah, no, you know, absolutely no one was thinking of that at this point. No, a hundred percent. You know, we're just not, they just weren't thinking in terms of that level of consistency. Now, in the age of, you know, fan service is everything, yes, but not, not, not then. Head down that tunnel to the hydro vent and turn right, then left at the blow screen. You can't miss it, Mr. Scott. You're amazing. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this shit like the back of my hand. <laughs> yeah, we get the, the terrible moment of Scotty bumping his head. Oh, just, God, so embarrassing for James Duan. And the, but then we do get to the we get to the sequence on the forward observation lounge, right, where Cybok catches up with them and shows at least Spock. Bones and uh, Spock their their pain. Oh my God, don't do this to me. Yeah, I'm gonna, I I love this scene with yeah. with, with uh, McCoy and his father. I think it's great. I think DeForest Kelly is fantastic in it, and it's actually a really good scene that actually. Tells you a lot about who this doctor with this intense respect mm-hmm. for life and this, you know, where a, he gets it from, pretty much. A really, yeah. yeah, a really major incident in his life. The pain. Stop the pain. I've done everything I can do. You've got to hang on. I can't stand the pain. Help me. All my knowledge, and I can't save him. Done all you can. The support system will keep him alive. How old do we think Bones was when this happened? Oh, he's a young man. Oh, okay. Uh, apparently, they were actually going to revisit the storyline before six happened. They were developing a like the first attempt to reboot with younger actors. That's a Starfleet Academy movie, and it would have been it would have 
cover that. Yeah. Okay. So, so like, if, if we're going with uh, Kelvin Universe, it would be like Star Trek time. It would have been when they're when they're still at the academy. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Because just the actor playing DeForest Kelly's father or Bones's father rather is either made up or is actually very old. And it, it he, was, he was he was in his eighties at that point. It just and with I, I'm wondering if they did that because it. I don't know. They would have looked weird if they'd had someone as the same age as DeForest Kelly. Yeah. His father's name, which actually was established in three when he says McCoy, son of David. David, yep. uh, yeah. That's uh, DeForest Kelly's father's name was David. So that's where he. Oh, that's nice. I like yeah. that a lot. It's a great scene. I mean, it's, I, I went into this going, oh, the only thing I'm going to enjoy is the campfire scene. That one's really good. Why did you do it? To preserve his dignity. That wasn't the worst of it. No. Was it? No. Share it. Not long after, they found a cure. A goddamn cure! So if you hadn't killed him, he might have lived. No. I love my father. I released him. Then you did what you thought was right. Yes. No. Yes. Release this pain. Release it. Now, Spock's, air quotes, pain, I seem to remember the thing that Cybok was, or Cybok, that Sarek was disappointed with was the fact that he kept crying, which all, well, but it's not. It's just that he's human. So human. One wonders how an incident that happened 30 seconds after you were born could be your pain. It's supposed to stand in for the extremely strained relationship he has with his father, well, but you- it just doesn't kind of work. It didn't need to I, be his birth. It could have been later, like he's, it, Spock is frustrated about something, and as Sarek is walking away, he mm-hmm. could turn to Amanda and say, he's, he's so human. It's, the so yeah. human can still be there, just like you're saying. Well, how does Spock even remember this happened? He's yeah. literally Did either of you notice 45 seconds old. I didn't. I didn't notice it, so I just wondered if you did. He did. I don't know if that they just found a baby with pointy ears, or <laughs> or they. That would be a hell of a casting call. <laughs> baby needed must have pointy ears. It's not for Rosemary's baby. The first time I saw it, I kept saying, "Why does he have red blood on him? He's got green blood because the mother was human." It's not yeah. his blood. Yeah. No. Well, it is, but, uh, no, but no, it's he, not. It's not his blood. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I kind of do like the 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 bit where I mean Nimoy Nimoy comes off. Better than most in this movie, you sure. know. I, but I do like his scene when he says, "I am not the outcast boy you left behind those many years ago." Since that time, I have found myself and my place. I know who I am, and I cannot go with you. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes me wonder: like, does he not actually find Spock's pain, or he he's guessing at it based on the the, the young man he knew? Can he not do to Vulcans what he can do to other people, you know? I think so. And maybe that's why it's the birth scene. Maybe we were not giving this moment the credit it deserves. And, like, this is showing that Cybok is, in fact, a con man. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, now, but we, we also, I think we, we we skipped over the part here because it happens when they're in the brig, right? That, that where he reveals wh- why they're going to, where they're going and why to meet God. Mm-hmm. Did you catch what goes, I don't remember this at all. He plays it straight into the camera. It's full televangelist. Yep. 
It's actually it's on the bridge, but yeah, I I had to. He's on he's on the bridge, but they're watching from the brig. So it's that's what I mean. It's before this, and he yeah, looks right, right at the camera, he looks straight in the camera. I forgot that he did that, or I, I probably didn't notice it because I didn't think about such things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it's uh, he totally breaks that fourth wall just like a televangelist. It's yeah. pretty effective, actually. It, yeah, I, to the point where I rewound it. I'm like, did he? Then rewound. I'm like, oh yeah, he he's looking right down the barrel. Okay, yeah. It's interesting, and that is where he started. He felt less like a sort of SoCal hippie cult leader, and started to really feel more televangelist, right? <laughs> to the point that I'm now wondering because my next note is when they decide to go down to the planet. Kirk says, well, "Don't just stand there. God's a busy man." But Kirk, mm-hmm. Spock, and McCoy had time to put back on their red uniforms. Cybok, for some reason, got a haircut. Um, Oh, is that because of reshoots? I'm wondering if it's reshoots or is it with the shorter hair he looks more televangelist and not. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, but it's pro- it's probably reshoots. <laughs> and is it in the, the the forward observation lounge when when somebody says you are mad? Am I? I think that's a great moment where, like, on the page, it could be, "Am I?" You know, with, with total confidence. But he seems to actually consider it for mm-hmm. a second and then go, "No, I'm not." It's a better performance than I remember. Yeah, I, rem- I remember going in and just going, ooh, Cybok, what a, what a hammy performance. But I think Lawrence Luckenbill knows exactly what he's doing. Like, he, he, he's playing up the camp on purpose. It's, it's great. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. What do we make about Kirk and his refusal with the pain? And I mean, despite how bad this movie is, <laughs> it, has, it, like, it has these ideas in it about God and about, like, pain, like... Do you feel like Kirk is right here, or do you feel like obviously the film seems to want you to think he's right, but it's hard. like I actually noticed this exchange. Now learn something about yourself. No, I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Now learn something about yourself. No, I refuse. It's a very like. I mean, you know, and maybe I'm colored a little by by some of Shatner's later in life views about things, but it's just like... Uh, it, well, let's you know, not, we're not going to peel that yeah. onion away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is it the reaction of somebody of a certain generation who will never go to therapy, who refuses to learn something about themselves, you know, of a certain kind of unreconstructed manliness? If we were just talking about Star Trek V and had just only watched Star Trek V, 100% I'm with you. But you got to look at two, three... Four, he's okay, but two and three, he loses his best friend. Then he loses his son. He knows that pain. He can, you know, that's why he needs his pain. He's like, hey, that's what makes me James C. Kirk. He's lost a lot of people. I don't know if you remember this from that Kirk survived a genocide as a child. What? Yes. The Conscience of the King. For a second season episode, uh, I believe, of uh, original series, where he is, he meets a an actor who he t- who he he recognizes as having been the man who committed space genocide on the colony he grew up on because they hadn't decided he grew up on Iowa yet. Oh, I don't remember this at all. Maybe he didn't do it because he knew if he did, he'd lose control of the ship. True. I mean, it, it could very well just be that, but. I mean, do you think he's right that we need our pain? I, 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 yeah, I, I, yes. I agree that it does. It's what, it's what makes us who we are. Yes. It does make us who we are, but our pain does not. I, I wish there had been, you know, I need my pain, but my and also my pain does not define who I am. 
Well, that's it. Is it. I feel like this film like talks it like makes it be like if you lose your pain, you lose yourself, and it's like. Yeah, it's very machismo, and I, I wasn't lo- there for that. If you lose what you learn from painful moments, that's good. You yes. need what you learn from them, but you don't need to hang on to the. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm with I'm you. I'm giving and the film I, more credit than it's worth in analyzing this, but it just it just <laughs> no, no, that, no that exchange struck me. It was like now learn something about yourself. No, I refuse. I was like Jesus. That's just yeah. No, I refuse. Is is a is a bit tough. And I wondered if there was any awareness that like that the proper approach is somewhere in between, or just an extra line of it's not what makes me me. It's, yeah. it's a part of me. Is is the proper approach what happens for McCoy? Like I've confronted a painful moment and accepted it as part of my life, and it did not turn me into a zombie cultist. Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't change who I was or my loyalties or what. It just I don't know, man. It's 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 a wonky movie. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it it this is the thing you were talking about. It's like it's it's like thirty five degrees from being a much more interesting and better film, but it just doesn't. And work. I think if it had a different director, we would be there. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been Frakes. Frakes hadn't even directed anything on Next Gen by this point. Now, Mom, you said you said you came to like this movie a lot better. Does do you feel like any of that? I am not giving. I'm giving it. The right credit? Do you, do you feel like any of these questions are interesting? I think it's just that I I understood it better, and I but I, mm. I understood what what, what it, was it was trying was, to well, say. Yeah, or? It, some of the reviews kind of like when they first came in, mm-hmm. it was all that blue. When they first went through the barrier, somebody somebody said it looked sure. like, uh-huh. like they were going through uh, what Windex is what the way they described it. <laughs> but they I mean they talked just some of the things that they said. Um, I guess I didn't really I didn't understand how it kept moving. You didn't really know what was happening until right at the end. I, I was trying to find it, but someplace they had originally tried to were going to put the what hit what um, his mission was at the beginning of the movie, and they thought that wouldn't work. Oh, that would have been yeah, a mistake. Would definitely yeah. have been a mistake. Yeah. But it's I just I just enjoyed it better. I don't know I, I don't know why. I understood it. Some of these things I don't understand. I mean, some of the stuff that they do, and you guys, you get you get a lot more into the symbolism and all that right. stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay, now I see it. <laughs> I don't. I, I look at a movie to enjoy. I can't tear a movie apart like you guys can. You, it's hard to miss that this movie is trying to say something. This is a movie with a with a thought and a message, and you know. And so was that did you feel did you did you feel like that worked better for you on your third viewing? Yes, because I never because I understood why Shatner did what he just with the televangelist. It never occurred to me. And uh what I thought about when I read the stuff about what they did in Yosemite. I I appreciated the movie more with when I saw what went into making it. I mean the the cost of some of the sets and what the 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 dresser used um, uh, uh, clothed extras in uh, in existing items from Western Costumes warehouses. It just it, it I just I understood it a lot better. Despite what I might knock on the on the twenty third century civilian wear, but like all the stuff in the Nimbus three stuff and what the the the. Um, the, the the what the um, ambassadors wear like actually I think the costumes are pretty good in this, and uh, 
Yeah, I think knowing that he's he's knocking on, or he's he's riffing mm-hmm. on televangelists it did. It really, really helps. helps. Me. You know, it really helps you see what, and, and that was totally lost on me. You know, I was eleven; I wasn't really capable of seeing allegory <laughs> right. uh, in, in in that way. So, um, same. I mean, yeah. I, like I said, it, it's an oddly watchable movie. Like, <laughs> I, I I know I kept I was acutely aware of like this doesn't work. That gag is forced. And yet, I'm not like hating watching it. It's you know, no, it's, it's just it's not good, but it's not it's not unwatchable. Yeah, I certainly I certainly think when we when we review at the very end here and do rankings, this is not going to be the worst Star Trek movie. No, I know I already know what the worst Star Trek movie is. But uh, um, <laughs> while we're defending Cybok a little, he's <laughs> he's totally right about the barrier. Yeah, he's totally right. Now, it takes such a theatrical stance when they make it through. Like, he Peter Pans, <laughs> and he levels on the steps. I'm like, holy shit, Lawrence, it's not a play. Now, you know that um, there is a animated series episode where they go to the center of the galaxy. And, oh, God. And, and go to a planet full of magical creatures like unicorns and stuff. The unicorns yeah. from this movie? Yeah. That's the unicorns from this movie, the blue unicorns. Um, so if you read the animated series as canon, they have done this before. But, oh, God, well, the, cat, the animated series, the Catwoman. Yeah, the, the animated series is canon. We totally skipped this. Kirk completely murders that poor oh, cat oh, exotic dancer. Does he, he ever? He murders how, her. But how? How does that kill her? He puts her in the pool table that's also a pool. Get it? Yeah, <laughs> but like, is it right? electrified? Did what? you feel like he, you, mom? Oh that's no, she's look. Well, well, she's I super see dead. If, if 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 mom saw the same thing when he throws her in there, it's like she's dead. Well, right? she doesn't move, so I would have to say. I mean, she doesn't jump up and start licking herself to keep to get the water off of her. But yeah, I'd say she's dead. <laughs> and she's like. Face down in water, not But how do we know he hadn't dead. broken her neck beforehand? She's doing the literal <laughs> dead man's float. Dead cat's float. It's, that, 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 was, that felt like a bit of a casual killing for Jim Kirk, <laughs> she though. Was on, she was on his neck scratching him and making all sorts of meow, meow, meow music or sounds. It was so weird. It was it, yeah. such it was, a weird scene. It was scene. very weird. It was very strange. Then they turn around and all walk out, and now everybody's cheering. I mean, I did I miss the part where... Cybot comes in and captures them and makes them walk out? Or just... Yeah, basically. Uh, okay. You're getting to the heart of why what doesn't hold together in this is, like, tone, right? Yep. The tone of this movie is just all over the place. It's a wacky comedy with, like, a Keystone Cops breaking out of the brig, and then it's, you know, and then it's this, and it just doesn't hold those tones together terribly well. Yeah, it was really strange. Shakari. The ship successfully breaches the Great Barrier, pursued by Claws, the bird of prey, and discovers a lone, uninhabited planet. Cybok, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy take a shuttlecraft down to the surface. Why? Because they're the four main characters in the film. <laughs> Where Cybok calls out to his perceived vision of the creator. An entity appears, represented as... A gi- big giant head. No, sorry, a large human face. Um, the Wizard of Oz. Well, I was thinking of big giant head from uh, Third Rock oh. in the Sun, played by William oh, Shatner. Oh my God, yes. He's the big giant oh, head. Oh man. Uh, and when 
told of how Cybok breached the barrier, demands that the starship be brought closer to the planet. Now, <clears throat> what he actually says is... Bring it closer so that I might join with it. Does he want to copulate with the yes. ship? Like, oh, it's... Only it's you, a little no, no. Only you. I, I was there too. You didn't hear it? it it's got to be a man thing. It's got to be the white corner <laughs> zone. No, it really sounds like he wants to get busy with the ship. It's, it's weird like, that I might. That fly. my mind did not go there. Well, the the uh, Enterprise does have some ample nacelles. Oh, <laughs> oh geez. Hey, that's a joke from a later movie. I didn't come up with it. I mean, they they try to have their cake and eat it too, right? With the with the with the God thing. I'm going to call it the God thing in honor of Gene Roddenberry. Um, <laughs> well, they call it the God column. <laughs> well, <laughs> the God column. Well, it, where it's like it shows one face and then it's like, well, did you prefer this or this or maybe this? And then it, it's like it gets to the like, you know, Renaissance painting with the like incredibly obvious beard and mm-hmm. wig and, you know, it, it, it tries to lampshade the fact that it's going to appear like a very specific vision of a very specific idea of God, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I believe the stand-up comedian Eddie Izzard put it best: that God has a huge f- off beard. <laughs> it sounds like James Mason. It would have been great <laughs> if he could have gotten James Mason. Bring for the this. ship closer so that I may <laughs> so I copulate with it. I mean, join <laughs> with it. Oh dear, mom, you've seen Eddie Izzard's stand-up, right? Mm-mm, not really. Oh, she's wonderful. So she can only do two. Um, imitations, which is James Mason and Sean Connery. 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 So she casts James Mason and Sean Connery repeatedly in her very elaborate stand-up to like, you know, so God is always James Mason. Yes. Always. (laughs) And it's, uh, you know, and God said to to Jesus, "Uh, Jeezy Crazy, hello. Dad, call me Jeezy Crazy. I'll call you Jeezy Crazy if I want to. James Scott uh, Mason. Okay, we're getting off. We're getting off here. Well, oh, this is this is all for the outtake episode. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so uh, we have the the line that everyone quotes from this movie. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? Good question. So, yeah, it's so it's cheesy. Such, but if if Kirk had given in, then he would not have been able to say that line. Because yeah. that line would not have no, come out. I mean, it, it is where this this film gets into a tricky place, right? It's like it still wants to be a little. Why yeah. does the omnipotent creator of the universe need my starship, right? Mm-hmm. But you might as well ask, why does the omnipotent creator of the universe care what I eat or who I have sex with, right. or you know whether I use his name a certain way? Mm-hmm. Why you know like it's not unlike at least this vision of the omnipotent creator of the universe, to be a little weirdly particular about all sorts of things. So wanting a starship, it's that thing where you pull one thread in the sweater uh, mm-hmm. and you sudden, and suddenly you're at atheism because you're like, but none of this makes any sense. <laughs> well, I think that yes. when he asked that, that's when Matt's, I think even... Um, Psylocke? Uh, yeah, I think even he, that kind of brought him up short and it was like... yeah. Ooh, maybe this isn't God. Yeah. I much prefer McCoy's route 
to doubting. I doubt any god who flicks pain for his own pleasure. Which is what he does, yeah. That I like so much. You know, it's it's just a, you know, but but no, I mean, obviously, what has gotten even the starship is a pretty great line. So pretty much with this and uh, Ghostbusters, when you're facing gods, you don't ask for that ID. And if they ask you if you're a god, you say, say yes. yes. Should I issue a spoiler alert for a like episode of Twilight Zone I'm going to talk about right now, or can we assume that everybody's seen this? Yeah, I think the statute of limitation on spoilers is just fine. There is a episode of the Twilight Zone called The Howling Man, okay. where a guy goes to a... I believe it's by Charles Beaumont. It is by Charles Beaumont. Um, he goes to a... This is probably all going to be in an episode. <laughs> anyway, he goes to a castle... In get like in the middle of a storm in Germany, and a bunch of monks have imprisoned a dude in the basement. Oh, and the guy's like these these, people, these monks are insane. They, they and they think I'm they think they I don't know why they just captured me. And and the monks are like this is the devil. <laughs> We've captured the devil. Ooh. Oh, these monks are insane. And finally, the guy's like these monks are insane. He lets him free, and he's the devil. Oh. My and favorite I, subtitle for Twilight Zone. Nice try, asshole. <laughs> uh, so, is this the devil? No. Or is it just some random over, overpowered evil alien? Yeah, yes. no, it's the black ooze that kills Tasha Yar. I mean, it's just a being of pure evil that's trying to get off of the planet. Because in original drafts, he did, like, transform into the devil. And it was, it was much more like, the devil has tricked you into thinking it's God. Nope. Gotcha. Uh, nope. No, I don't. I don't like any of that. No. Uh, I, 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 I like that it becomes Cybok. Like, <laughs> like, hey, you were stupid enough to listen. Here you go. Well, see, I think that is kind of cool. That it's like you. I was just a projection of your own ego, which is really what televangelists do, right? Hundred percent. And, and and a whole lot of other people who proclaim to know exactly what the omnipotent creator of the universe thinks and <laughs> wants, you, you as they about say. Forty-five. Yes, but many, many other. I don't think 45 actually believes in God um, because he'd have to believe in something larger than himself. I mean, uh, but there are probably people who do believe in God and don't understand that they are just projecting themselves into it. Sure. Yeah. And and I do. I love that moment. I love I, when he, he reveals his cyborg and you see a cyborg's face. And that, but and I do kind of love what he's like. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. But then they just wrestle. Like that right there, that is like a moment of like two dudes wrestling in a weird lightning storm played by the same actor. That's like could be an image from the from the classic series. Sure. It's 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 classic track, yeah. This is so much like the plot on a plot level, this is so much like a, a an original series episode. Mom, what did I say the other day? On paper? Besides the joke uh, explanation of this movie, Kirk versus God, Kirk wins. Um, <laughs> if you, you know, going to a, an uncharted part of space, questioning morality, rekindling old relationships of some kind, all of this is track. This is all track. This is good track. It's just executed really poorly. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. What what makes it not work is is I think for me the character assassination of the other characters. And mm-hmm. and we talked about the like weirdly off comic moments, but just the fact they all fall in with Cybok so easily. 
so easily. I mean, it's uncle- like even it's- Scotty falls in because of Uhura. It's actually never made explicitly <laughs> clear whether or not Scotty does or not. That he should have sabotaged the ship. Yeah, I mean, it's this very you know that's the part that bothers me. But it has it has real like Star Trek potential. Sure does. I want to ask something here. You talked about he asked uh, God wouldn't inflict pain, and has nothing to do. Remember when he shot Kirk the first mm-hmm. time? Mm-hmm. And he had the scorch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you did you see that when they got back up into the Klingon ship that there's also a scorch on the back? Yeah, sure. Same with Spock. His shoulder hit is in the front yeah. and in the back. I, didn't, I never saw it on the back, but if it had gone, if the scorch had gone all the way through, why is he not dead? It's lightning. But if if it, it the, just it cooked went all his the way through, no. I mean, I think I think if you, I mean, I could be wrong here, but if I think if you're hit by lightning, it'll it'll burn the burn your clothes, and it'll burn your skin, but not you. But yeah. but hu- the human body is better at absorbing electricity, at an, even in large amounts, at a for a very short amount of time. I don't. I but maybe I I'm. Didn't realize that I could be completely wrong. I don't know. I Lis- don't know listeners, thought- if you've ever been struck by lightning, yes, call one eight hundred. Colin's making things up. Uh, <laughs> 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 Let me see. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to consult the ship's computer for a second. Okay. But I just—that's uh, the one thing I noticed, and I thought, gee, if it went all the way through, I'll edit that. Yeah, I. I don't know. I mean. Here we go. We're 10 minutes from the end of the film. (laughs) If you're hit by lightning, there's a, wow, yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, I'm going to send this, and we're going to have to put it up on on social media when this episode airs. A CNN health article from 2017 that's like a photo essay of the the clothing of people hit by lightning. Huge scorch marks. And these people all survive. Well, that's underwear. I don't want to see where a guy was hit. Oh, this guy got hit by lightning right, right, right. In his wedding tackle? <laughs> On the family meat, jewels? Meat and two veg. <laughs> <laughs> it's not pretty. Oh, it's, oh, boy. I mean, I, I mean, it could also be a good pickup line like, look, it's a lightning rod. Come yeah. on. Oh, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> You're oh, welcome. Oh, gosh. I'm going to go home and see if I can strike twice. Hey, there we go. Okay, um, so God is killed. Spock goes to the Klingon ambassador that's there and is like, you have to convince Claw to join you. And he's like, I'm an old man. I'm a fool. And, and, and Spock swears. swears and gets a and gets a little mad at him. You are his superior officer. I am a foolish old man. Damn you, sir. You will try. Because that was something I said, Spock swears. Well, he'll swear in the next one, too. Um, not he, only swore, he swore in the last one. Don't yeah. mess on you. Yeah. <laughs> The hell they are. Yes, he seems to have mastered the colorful metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but also, just the way he delivers it is a little more human yes, than... I noticed that. Spock that we've known in the last two movies. Yeah. I mean, again, if we're going to fan candidate, here's where he's finally back to... Like like he says to Cybok, uh, I I am I'm not at war with my human side anymore. This is the spot, sure. and and I think the the next film does a lot better job of of showing us that like mature, wise, contented Spock. Yep, one hundred percent. But you know that that he he can simulate emotion or or access it 
for a logical purpose, knowing that it will be more likely to affect a Klingon than pure logic. So like the times that Data would do it? Sure. (laughs) I never thought I'd ever be drinking with a Klingon. (laughs) The Enterprise leaves Shakari, or wherever the hell they are, with the Klingon ship in tow. They don't leave. They go to a planet. There's a malevolent creature. They think they kill it. Wait, are, are we still in the barrier? And then they just hang out in orbit to have a cocktail party. I miss that they were still in the Great Barrier during this. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a bunch yeah. of dum-dums. <laughs> oh, I liked it when when, uh, when Sulu and, and Chekhov are following the... And they do oh, nice muscles. And then they just do an about face when, See, when she goes over to the other guy. See, for me, that was one of those really labored gags. Not now a gag that did land for me was Please Captain. Not in front of the Klingons. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh right. Yeah, the the like suddenly uh I know, yeah. Sulu and Chekhov are like Abbott and Costello of this movie. It's really unfortunate. And you know, in the next one, we've all seen it, so it's no spoiler. I wonder if part of the reason that Sulu gets well, his own command is like, I don't want to do any more shtick with Walter. <laughs> I like Walter a lot, but I don't want to do any more shtick. My understanding is that he, that well, we'll talk about Sulu's command next time. Okay. Um, y'all catch that Sinjin Talbot is trying to is basically like managed to establish a relationship with Caitlin Dar. No. Like they, they seem to be acting as a couple. I think his arm is around her at the cocktail yeah, party. It was. Oh Sinjin, you little monster. Okay. Well, okay. You know. He seemed very excited when she came <laughs> came hey, to see them. So how the hell oh this ends with them back on um Well no first first you have it ends with them in, in the forward observation lodge having a discussion about God and mm, and Spock right. says Spock says I've lost a brother. And Kirk says, I lost a brother once. I was lucky I got him back. You know, Kirk lost his actual brother, right? In Operation right. Annihilate, his brother George Sam Samuel Kirk was killed. Yep. We're just not talking about that, I guess. We just, and also, he lost his damn son. Right, he lost his like, son. Yeah. Easily a year ago. It's a, it's a cute line, but it's I just go... But what about your actual brother? Yeah, we need the meme of, uh, you know, up in heaven, George being like, am I a joke to you? <laughs> There's also the moment where Kirk says, God really out there. Maybe he's not out there, Bones. Maybe he's right here. And then he points to himself. And for just a moment, you're like, oh, shit. He's saying he's God. No. Like, oh, God. He's, he's saying he's God. But then he says, human heart. Oh, okay. Thank you. A moment that could have easily been avoided by having him touch McCoy's chest and say, the human heart. But no. Uh, also, for one last hu- moment. Uh, yeah, Why human. say human? Why say human? Well, Why not say in the heart? Human. The very name is racist. You're going to love the next movie, Mom. The tendency to use human, or even, I mean, even as late oh. in is this, to use man for human. Yeah, when he sees it on the, the placard, I was like, goo, guys, we've established on Next Gen that it is now where no one has gone before. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Really holding on to that machismo. Well, you, okay, so... To, to have a brief, uh, as everybody enjoys, a brief linguistics moment. Mm-hmm. The word man meaning male. Yeah. And the word man meaning humankind actually come from different origin points in Anglo-Saxon Old English. Okay. So they were distinct words 
which were related and sounded close enough that they eventually became the same word, but they begin from different origin points. So it, while it is obvious that sexism and patriarchy is part of how we got to being able to say things like all mankind and where no man has gone before, it does have some linguistic origin. There's not pure sexism. Okay. End of linguistics corner. Still, still swarmy. Oh, yeah. Did you know that part of the post-production was done in Hoboken? I did not. Huh. Well, um, it was an East Coast firm that was doing the, the stuff. I mean, I guess... Well, ILM delivered the main enterprise model. So ILM was involved in it, but... I think when they say delivered, it means they gave them. The opticals were completed in Manhattan before being sent west. And then it says, for example, blue screen footage of the motion control miniatures was filmed in Hoboken. New Jersey. Wow! I got now. I want to know where. I want to, I, I'm in well, some some warehouse in the on the west side. I'm sure some warehouse um, that's no longer do, there. Oh, do you remember? There is a weird shot that I noticed where it's somewhere in the middle of the film. I mean, I guess it's like it's when it's when the Enterprise is is around Nimbus three, and instead of showing it in orbit around Nimbus three, there's an establishing shot of the model like just slowly spinning in in a star field. I'm like. Was it just floating in space? Like, you didn't establish an <laughs> orbit? or It's because they didn't want to have to put it around a model of a planet, which would cost more money. But it just seems to be yeah. just floating. Also, with that, you know, the thing that bothers me the most in Star Trek is, aside from Star Trek Two, they never have fights in three-dimensional. Like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, oh, they had the ship surrounded. Then go down. Or go up. Like, I mean, space is infinite. Come on. Ridiculous. We've had this co- ill-advised cocktail party in the center of the galaxy. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. we head back to the completion of roasting marshmallows. Yes. Did you know those scenes were shot last? But the those she, the, the the fire they were they were the last shots of the film. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know what we didn't talk about is when DeForest Kelly starts um, <laughs> row 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 your boat. He's off key. Well, but he's also in a very high key, and you see it. Not yeah. Kirk. I'm pretty sure it's Shatner. Go. Okay, that's the key we're going to sing this in. Because when well, Shatner does it. does it at the <laughs> end, it's row 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 your boat. Gently down the stream. But when divorce is like, roll, roll, roll your boat gently down the stream. But he does say, don't say I didn't warn you. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's a fair warning. It's a fair warning. DeForest Kelly is a great actor. He was never going to be cast in any musicals. Yeah. So that's uh, that's Star Trek V, the uh, final frontier. <laughs> was it, This was originally supposed to be the end of the original cast movies. I don't think that was ever the intention. Oh, okay. No. I mean, we didn't talk about this, but the, you know, a lot of why this movie got made, you know, why Shatner got to direct it is because he had what's called a favored nations clause with mm-hmm. Nimoy dating back to the, the first season. And favored nations right. basically means what you get, I get. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what, what I always accounted it as is when you would, you know, there were favored nation clauses when I would do shows, it would be like, everybody's getting paid the same. Yep. And we all know everybody's getting paid the same. And, and if the clause is in the contract, there's no you can't go back to your agent and negotiate it, and uh, it which you know fine. Um, for but the favored nations clause interpretation was like, well, he got to direct one, I get to direct one. Yeah, but Nemo got to direct two. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, <laughs> well, DeForest Kelly said that his ambitions to direct were squashed when he saw what Kirk had to go through <laughs> to yeah, do yeah. this. Because when he was directing, he got up every morning at 4.30, no matter what time he went to bed. Yeah. Oh, you kind of have to if you're directing a feature. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially if you're also in it, in a pro- in a key role. Like, yeah. And in, yeah. in, in a role that's not just key, but is like the total center of the film and everybody is always talking about Cooley is. It's like Poochie. Whenever he's not on screen. People need to be talking about, where's Poochie? People need to be saying, where's Kirk? You know, I, I mentioned a couple of times during this, Frakes, because we're getting so close to uh, definitely top three uh, Star Trek movies are coming up. It, if you look back at the episodes that Frakes directed of Next Gen, it would be like, and Commander Riker's off on another mission. You know, he'd yeah. write himself. Like, uh, the one... <laughs> One with Data's daughter. He literally has two scenes in the entire episode. Yeah. But, you know, I do feel bad for, for Shatner because I don't doubt that he worked hard on this. Yes, I agree. Like, it's so, not, yeah, they, it's the, not, if somebody who doesn't know the film and doesn't see any of the stuff like uh, uh, the, the production stuff that mom looked up so well. Mm-hmm. Were to hear like William Shatner directed a Star Trek movie and it was bad, people would be like, "Oh, he probably half-assed it." And no, I don't he think he did. I definitely it. don't he, think he did. He he didn't. He 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 got handed a bad bag with the with the the effects issues, mm-hmm. and he didn't have enough people willing to say, "Bill, maybe you need another rewrite." You yeah. know, like Ooh. try try again. But did you know that it got five Razzies? No, Anom- awards. Oh, I'm no, not wait surprised. Minute, got, yeah, Final Frontier would be nominated for five Razzie Awards. Worst Picture, mm. Worst Director, Ooh. Worst Actor for Bill Shatner, oh. Worst Supporting Actor for Forrest Kelly. I know oh, how dare you. That. Yeah, that's not... No, 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 no. <laughs> and Worst Screenplay. It won three. Picture, Director, and Actor. <laughs> Among the directors who can really hone a great performance out of William Shatner... Is I would not include William Shatner. No, it'll be the guy who directs the next movie. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, and no, I think I thought I thought Nimoy did too. Nimoy, yeah. Nimoy and Meyer can and, and, really get him to do the right thing, but he did not have it to, to rein himself in. I wonder how he how uh, Shatner was working with the next director after uh, he had uh, been the director. Uh, uh, if he was very, if he was very well. Welcoming of the way he, or he wanted to do it his own way. No, he was welcoming of the director because it was Nicholas Meyer who directed arguably the best Star Trek movie of all time. Um, but there is a specific scene that Bill wanted one way and Nick wanted another way. And guess who won? And a little bet <laughs> comes out of it where Nicholas Meyer hands over $1,200 to... Um, oh, this is going to be a good story. We're going to save this for next time. Do you, do you know the story, though? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm excited. Oh, it's I can't great. Believe, I can't believe you know a story about this movie. I don't. Oh, my God. It's so good. Okay. Um, so, let's go back to this movie. Uh, let's go through our questions. I mean, do okay. we really need to spend a lot of time on number one? No. It's not a good movie. It's a it's a bad movie. It's, it's not unwatchable, but it's not great. Oh, uh, yeah. It's it's a bad. It, it's it's yeah. It's like an. It is an oddly watchable bad movie. 
<laughs> yeah. Not, not agree with that. It's an oddly watchable bad movie. I'm not sure that, that somebody who didn't first see it when they were 11 or 8 would agree. Though, Mom, you saw it as an adult, so you, you find I it. Don't remember, an un- I don't uh, remember. Uh, okay. I don't remember what I did yeah. yesterday for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, first you got in a starship and went to the center of the galaxy through the Great right. Barrier. Right. For, uh, through windows. And then you wrestled a three-breasted cat exotic. <laughs> <laughs> the second question, is this good Star Trek? It is. It's halfway to good Star Trek. Oh, I th- it's halfway to... On paper, it's good Star Trek. In the movie, no. no. On paper, I it agree. is good Star Trek. See, here's... Yeah. here. Okay, so here's my rewrite pitch that could make it good Star Trek. Okay. The thing that bugs me about this is that they are also resistant to going... You know, like, I can see a movie, and it's not the movie that, that Bill Shatner wanted to make with the horseback riding and the desert adventure, <laughs> where, where, like, where the Enterprise's mission is to take this... This weird Vulcan on a, who, who claims he's gotten a message on a mission, and he doesn't, and he doesn't reveal to their halfway there that he thinks it's from God, and then you find out he's Spock's brother. But that, sure, of course, Starfleet is like, we heard something from the center of the galaxy. We're going to check it out because that's what we do. We're Starfleet. Yep. And then it's along the way that it starts to unravel. And then Cybok has to lead a rebellion. And then, you know, there's a story that you could tell there sure. about an organization that's fundamentally about going into the unknown and exploring it, meeting someone who who t- places no reasonable limits on that. Yeah. And then the conflict comes there. And I think that would have been a much more interesting, and it doesn't require us to write almost all of our characters and the entire organization of Starfleet as like, No, we're just not going to do it because we don't want to. Right. You know? When they do a reboot of it, when John Henry is an adult, they can do it that way. I think you're quite right, Mom. I think (laughs) think there there will eventually be an attempt to remake this into a good film. It'll be like the... It'll be the the Dark Phoenix of oh. uh, where they, <laughs> or maybe they could make a musical out of it. That would be cool. No, that's not going to oh. enhance this story at all. <laughs> There's already one song too many. Uh, on that, uh, would anyone on this podcast recommend this to someone as their intro to track? No, no, no. Get, no go the, go one before, per- go one after, but not this one. <laughs> Unless that person is like. I guess really into rock climbing? I don't know. <laughs> or maybe um, a televangelist? Yes. Well, no, I don't think... Yeah. They're not, no, they're not going to like this. Um, <laughs> Kirk Drift's Addicts seems to have gone back a little more uh, straight-laced Starfleet. He's definitely more straight-laced Starfleet, but almost too straight-laced Starfleet, like I was just saying. There's like that sense of exploration is gone, but it's like... But the idea of Jim Kirk as the coolest guy in the galaxy is a little runaway. It, it, so that part, of yeah. It, and like, I, I want, I think that the image of this film as an ego trip for Shatner, and therefore an ego trip for Kirk. Kirk versus God. Kirk wins. Mm-hmm. You know that whole guy. Yeah. That 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 contributes to overall Kirk drift, like to the idea of Kirk as this swaggering dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's a, tech, it's a technical screenwriting term, swaggering dick. Yeah, 100%. Uh, what's the best moment? Admiral, you can go first. My best moment was, and you're going to make fun of me because you made fun of the line, is when he made the, the, when he made the statement about maybe God isn't out there. Maybe he's here. If I, I, I agree they should have, he should have just said in 
one's heart. I just don't, I'd like to line. I'm sorry. I oh, I don't think it's a bad line. I don't think it's a bad line. It's badly delivered. <laughs> well, well, it's yeah. just it's it it's just in the context of all the other Kirk aggrandizement, him pointing to himself is pretty funny. Yeah, but no, but it's see, a it's a good line. It's a, I thought he just patted him. I don't think he he, he does, so. but he gestures at himself. But yeah, but no, it's a, and it's it you're I, it is a good line. It's a very like end of an episode of Star Trek line too. Yeah, you know that's what I mean? One hundred percent. I just liked it, and I I also yeah. like. What's his face play in the loot? I thought that was cool. Well, it does. It does represent a. It's interesting because we talked about the sort of like a crude, primitive idea of God as a big floating white guy's head with a beard. You know, like this this right. sort of idea that that, that doesn't re- represent the best of human religious belief. Sure. And the idea that God lives inside the human heart as a as an ineffable spirit is a is a much more mature humanistic view of theology. And I, I think the film is again trying pretty unsuccessfully to communicate that idea. So yeah. I do I do think that's a good line, Mom. I, I it's a good choice. How about you, Colin? Oh, uh, you know, I know you're gonna say the campfire scene. I don't know. I'm still thinking. That's why. That's why uh, I went to you. He goes, well, I'll let you say the campfire scene by saying I was just. I was struck again. I really did think the one moment that is interesting. Trek is that where they actually do like delve into the thorny in '89, still thorny now issue of end of life, euthanasia, mm-hmm. and and that and it is, it is a well played scene. It's mm. you know a, an actor who who had dramatic chops he probably didn't get to take out of the box as often in his career as he should have. Yeah. DeForest Kelly got to play a real great scene. That was my, my favorite, the best scene in the, in the film for me. I mean, yes, campfire scene, but the, uh, it's one in one a, and yeah. there's like this much room in between the two of them. They're, they're both fantastic scenes. Mom, what's a moment you would cut? Uh, <laughs> So many to choose from. (laughs) No. Um, I think probably um, not so much the moment, but the the whole cocktail party. I thought that, you know, would have been cut. (laughs) At the end? When it it was originally put out, um, when they originally, uh, Shatner, it was a two-hour film. And Paramount Mm -hmm. wanted to cut it to 145 so they could get two showings. Yep. Oh yeah, in a movie theater, and Shatner said you can't cut anything, and he—I guess he was not real happy with what Bennett did cut. But I just thought it was unnecessary, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's yeah. my feeling. I'm torn. There's a couple of things I would cut, uh, but I would leave the Scotty waking up in sick bay and her, you know, macking on him there, but the earlier scene of their little Mac out, I would just, I did Scotty on her. just does not jive for me. See, I didn't look at it as flirting. I just looked at it as they're, they're going at each other. Mother. No, 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 Mom. that's, that's, that's the thing to say. They were straight up flirty with each other. Now, now if you're, if you're saying it was non-serious flirting, it was the flirting of people who, who have known each other long enough who are really, that they know really they'll never friends. actually have a romantic yeah. ha- uh, thing, so they yeah. have fun flirting with each other. That If that's what you're trying to say, I'd buy that. 
Except for the fact that she's like, I've made us a special meal, and then there's going to be dessert. I mean, but it's this bag. It's this bag. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, a it's like rations. Bag. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, ta- it's space takeout. Yeah. yeah do I, have I believe to put it's Skippin' Dots. The ice. Skippin' Dots. Yeah, the future. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of things to cut, and I think we've talked about them, but there's one thing that bothers the hell out of me in this movie that I didn't talk about, so I'll choose it as my thing to cut, and it's those damn rocket boots. Oh, I like <laughs> them. So I thought stupid. they were cool. They're so stupid. I loved them. I like that there are boots that make you fly. I don't like that they are rocket boots. It's the 23rd century. Don't explain how it works. Just these are boots that make you float. Do you know what I mean? Like they're anti-grab boots. Oh, yeah. Anti-grab boots. You know what I mean? Instead of, putting the, the instead of showing me down. that it yeah. is a propulsion engine that you know shoots out a little flame, just the you put on yeah. these boots, you float. Man, the admiral's a, a status actor, DeForest Kelly. See, okay, yeah, I was I was gonna say I'm I mean like DeForest Kelly, but Lawrence Luckenbill. Gets like a commendation. Yeah, Luck and Bill's really good in this, actually. He's really, really good. Yeah, like, was. better than I remember. But yeah, DeForest Kelly's so good in this. We, we've talked a little bit about when outsiders come in and have major things to do in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And how that sometimes works really well. And he has the perfect, like, mix of, like, taking it seriously but not condescending to the material. Yep. You know, he, he really plays it very, very real and straight and plays an emotional truth the whole way. Right. And it works. It is definitely there to play the game with everybody else. He's not he's not F. Murray Abraham, who clearly was yeah. like, I'm going to be here to do my own thing. And if it doesn't work with this movie, tough cookies. Right. Yeah, we're going to I'm sure we're going to revisit that. Oh, boy, boy, will we ever. Is he in one of the Star Trek movies? Yeah, he sure is. What? We've got four movies to go. Oh, boy. Oh, okay. What's the question again? Admiral status. Who's the best performance in the film? I think I'd probably have to go with uh, DeForest. No, no, not DeForest Kelly. With uh, Luck and Bill. Okay. I think he carried off this part perfectly. I really do. I mean, you're wrong. I I agree. No. No, no, uh, that's perfectly fine. I mean, uh, I'm giving a commendation to uh, Luck and Bill, so sure, yeah. Well, I uh, could have said the guy that was digging holes in the middle of nowhere that with the nasty teeth. No, no. He, <laughs> he gets dishonorable discharge from Starfleet. Yeah, but his his scene where he gives in to, you know. Yeah, he does a good I job. He yeah, sure. That, he's a good he, actor. He does a yeah. good yeah, job. That's good. But that's, that's not the admiral yeah. status. Anyway, okay. Recommended episode pairings. Well, I mean, I think, Casey. All of season two of Star Trek Discovery with Spock and Michael Burnham? I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess, I guess there's that. I this was going to say. This is a new question. I don't. No, no, we, we've had this one before. I've oh, actually not seen season two of Discovery yet, so. Oh, Ethan I've Peck's s- Spock is good, but it takes a minute for you to get used to yeah. it. Because you're like, you're not doing Leonard Nimoy. You're what? Because ah. even Quinto I, I was, d- just is doing Leonard Nimoy. So yeah. it works. It's, I was going to say any of the classic Trek Kirk versus a uh, false god type one. Giant so either green he, hand. Who mourns, well, that's who mourns for Adonis. Yep. Where they meet a, an, a, the alien who was the Greek god Apollo. And you find out that all the Greek gods were aliens who were hanging out on Earth for a while. Uh, or... You could also do uh, the apple uh, with Val. Oh yeah, the yeah, where there's an Eden and and Kirk destroys the computer god. Uh, 
Those are those are both uh, ones. Or you could, of course, do the, the Star Trek, the animated series episode, The Magics of Megas 2, where they go to the center of the galaxy and meet unicorns. Because the animated series is weird. Yes, it is. I mean, if I remember correctly, the very first episode of it, they leave an alien on a planet to pretty much die. <laughs> and you're just like, and this is a children's program. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, Who Mourns for Adonis is a really is actually a yeah, really good I think that's episode. A good one. The, mm-hmm. the apple is, is a pretty sledgehammery sort of uh, religious metaphor. It features some embarrassing space hippies, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, man. I mean, certainly not Star Trek's most embarrassing space hippies, but some embarrassing space hippies. And some pretty questionable costuming. But, again, not the most questionable costuming in all of Star Trek. Yeah, go watch Who Mourns for Adonis. It's a good one. Okay. Or the Howling Man from the Twilight Zone. Even though I spoiled the episode <laughs> earlier, it's still really, it's actually a really good episode. It's a great little, like, chamber piece. Okay. So that's Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And next we have Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Oh, I'm so looking forward to rewatching this movie. I'm I haven't so looking seen forward this movie discussing. in years. And I, once we started this, when we started talking about this, I'm like, because it kept, like, Paramount Plus kept recommending this one. Then I pop, pop, pop. I get, I, I'll get to it. Just leave me alone. So we should tell the audience we are going to watch the director's cut. Oh yes, this is going to be our last director's cut. Now, as of the moment we're recording this, finding the director's cut in a high resolution format is a bit difficult. Yeah. Um, right, now, by the time this is airing, finding the first four films in 4K will be very easy. Yeah, that comes out, what, next month for us? But uh, it comes. It actually comes out the day before our first episode. Oh, it's September 7th? Okay. It's coming out, it's coming out basically in time for the, the anniversary. But they are only doing the first four in the first batch, so six won't be in there. Right, as of right now, you cannot buy or find a Blu-ray, a physical Blu-ray that has the the director's cut. There mm-hmm. is, a, you can rent it, and I think you can rent it in HD. But it's like uh, HD air quotes. Is it? I, imagine. It's real, it, yeah, I don't I mean, think it's, it's probably not 1080p. But I might do that because I have the director's it may cut be on DVD. It may be 720, like, yeah, if you're lucky. I guess. Then it's probably just, it's probably just a, the... Uh, a rip of the, the DVD, huh? Yeah, I would just watch the DVD, and our 4K TVs will upconvert it to a, a better picture quality already. So yeah. all right. that's what yeah. I'm going to do. So we'll probably <clears throat> cut all that exciting. Well, you're going to watch it, and then you're going to give yep. it to me, right? I'll, I'll actually give it to you on Sunday, and I'll just uh, oh, because the director's cut isn't streaming on Paramount Plus, right? Yeah, just the regular one. All right, and so I think we should go out <laughs> on. Yeah, 100%. Uh, before we go out, though, uh, Colin, uh, where okay. can people send you subspace uh, transmissions? Uh, I can be found on the hell planet known as Twitter at, <laughs> at, at role of Colin Ryan. I, I am uh, not Ryan Casey on Twitter. And you can also uh, tweet at the podcast directly at where no mom pod. That's not right. that's said, uh, that's where no mom, not we're no mom, where no mom, pop. where no mom, pop. and uh, Admiral, you wish wish to remain uh, social media anonymous. So if you we'll can if you that. can find a carrier pigeon, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite that bad. So join us next month for Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. 
And as always, Mom, that's your line. We have been. Oh, I, I don't have it. I don't, I, I don't, no, I don't have it. We have we been. We have been. Take it from last. And always Take, shall be. No, we, just, we have been, and we always shall be. Your podcast. Your podcast. Let's try that again. Yeah. We have been and ever we shall be. Always shall be. Oh, okay. Always shall be. We have been and always have been. Nope. No. <laughs> I thought I had that written. We have down. been and have always shall be. Always your po- shall be. Your podcast. We have been and always shall be your podcast. There we go. And I just sent you a link, Casey. And, and oh, Mom. God. Have, have you heard? Do you know? Google chat. Where the hell do I get that? Where did you get it? You got to go to your... Um, go to Gmail. Did you get it, Casey? Oh, no. You got to listen to it. I can't believe you've never seen this. Oh, God. What is this? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? To hug the mountain. To hug the mountain? That mountain will hug the mountain. I'm sorry. Bill Shatter, are you talking about a special hug to this mountain? Because what's happening? Yeah, I'm gonna put. When they shot, when they shot that scene, they they they. they, When they shot the scene with with Shatner and Mm -hmm. Neil together. When they, did the, when they replayed it in the, the daily, there was a tree in the background that just totally destroyed the the, the force perspective of, of how high up they were. Oh, that's yeah, hilarious! That's right. yeah. <laughs> they had to reshoot it. I'm not getting any. Okay, I'll no send it here, here, Mom. I'm going to text it to you, and then we'll. I'll put this underneath our. our uh, You've got, uh, we've got to go out on it, right? I'm good oh, with, wait a minute. With is it, was this on YouTube? Yes. yes. I think I just got okay, it. Okay, Mom, oh, I want to watch Mom watching at the beginning of it at least. Sure, sure. Now, you have to be listening, and though. That's you have to plug into your phone. Oh. Turn your phone. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? What? <laughs> this was done 11 years ago. I want to make love to him. Make love to him. <laughs> oh no, he was talking about a special hug. He sure was. Shit. Is going. Okay. No man has gone before. Four hours of this? No, I couldn't. No, no, this is only a two minute version, but. This is like this is no like early classic YouTube weirdness. Like so, this is this is recut from a like DVD bonus thing where he's talking about you know. Challenging. It's it's quite something. It, that, that's up there with the Picard song. Because I'm in love.